guy. See that cool thing? Familiar, is it not? Save us. Break it. Someday. Civilization problems as so we argue. Funny. No, this I do. In another life, not mine. Look at the spider web to our left. Feel you it's written? Maybe I do. Saying is hard. How to explain except with an explanation. The wisdom is far away. Frolic now with quietness! What happened? Somebody sent us the bomb! We can signal. What? Main screen turn on. It's you! How are you, gentlemen? All your base are belong to us. You are on the way to destruction! What you say? You have no chance to survive, make your time! <laughs> Captain! Take off every zig! You know what you're doing? Move, zig! For great justice! Mom, are you okay? Mom! Come with me if you want to live. Theorizing that one could travel within their own lifetime, two old RP Gamer staff members stepped into the RPG Backtrack Time Accelerator and vanished. They woke to find themselves trapped in the past, playing and talking about computer and console RPGs from the 80s right up to yesteryear, driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. Their only guides on this journey are other staff and players from RPGamer.com who they meet to help record podcasts that only their audience can listen and hear. And so, Phil and Mike find themselves leaping from game to game, striving to put right gaming backlogs gone wrong, and hoping each time that their next recording will be the one that leads them home. Welcome to the RPG Backtrack. Here are your hosts, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack, that awesome kick-ass show where we talk about your favorite RPGs from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. I'm your host, Phil Willis, and this is the other host... Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Mike Mickey. Why not? Let's go with that. And not, not the not the guy who finally came through and finished an Agarus game. That oh, we're gonna we're gonna be saving that for a little later, Mister Mickey. Don't worry, save it, save it. Keep the lid oh, on tight. Don't worry, there, it's not leaving my brain anytime soon. <laughs> However much I would like it to. Sorry about that. And that deep baritone voice is the one, the only, the editor-in-chief of RPGamer.com. That's right, Mr. Michael Cunningham. Hi, guys. How's it going? <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to throw you off. There you I'm go. Doing, I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Well, uh, I'm actually kind of feeling bad. I didn't slaughter your mic supposed to. Mr. Michael Cunning Turkey. That's pretty bad. All right, I feel better now. I think that, I heard that one last when I was mm, probably in preschool. I thought it was the last time you were on Backtrack. What did I call you last or time? Or <laughs> No, that's the last time Becky was on Cunning. Becky, that's right. I get confused because, you know, they're, they're joined at the hip and stuff. The, yeah, the fake, fake yeah. spouse. Well, I think we discussed that on last uh, Backtrack with, uh, who, who was on here? It was Scott and... Uh, Sam. Sam. And 
Nanny. Yeah, and so uh, uh, they were talking a little bit about getting or something, but they pointed out that uh, Michael and Becky will always be premier couple at RPGaming.com. <laughs> Which is hilarious. And we also have joining us tonight, Mr. Alex Emptier. Oh. Howdy. Yeah. He, some, some guy think, completes an Agris game and he thinks it's a, a big thing. <laughs> yeah, what's up with that? Please tell me this isn't some impromptu agorist podcast, since we have a couple of people who have actually played through them on the cast. Might no, no. We, we can save that. <laughs> That's right. There's, there's no need to put you through it right now. That's right. We Another always time will be fine. We Good, save... because I would be hanging up. <laughs> yeah. We always save the not-so-best for last. Uh, no, tonight we are actually, we have gathered you gentlemen together to talk about a trilogy of games that go by the title of The Legend of Heroes. So we're going to take a teeny tiny little break. We'll be right back. Let you listen to some Diddy Tunes. Hold on tight. Returned, and we're ready to talk about the Legend of Heroes. A t- uh, my gosh, I'm tongue tied tonight. Well, the shall Legend- we start with this? Is the Gagharv trilogy or the Gagarv, the Gagarv? How do we there. pronounce this? I think you've pretty much shot through all of them. That that sounds good to me. The Namco trilogy. Yeah. So we don't have an official pronunciation guide to go. Wait, Namco, but it says Bandai on the front of this box. I'm looking at. Well. Whatever, same thing. Oh, okay. There, if oh, Namco Bandai. Yeah, if you want to get into the history of all of that stuff, I've got some fun, fun details that we, right. can, we can talk about as far as the history of these games. Well, before we we'll, jump we'll into that, Turbo Duo, I'm sure. Yeah, before we do that, I have to get the legalese after. Gosh, I gotta stop smoking while I'm do drinking or something. We gotta get the legal ease out of the way. It is a requirement by editor in chief that I read you a rundown of the vital stats behind the Legend of Heroes, developed by Falcom, published by Bandai. This was uh, released on the PlayStation Portable here in North America on November fifteenth, two thousand and five. This is a single player RPG experience coming to you on one PSP a UMD or available. I believe is that available through the PlayStation Network? No. You're going to have to hunt down the UMD. I'll have to look up the prices for our listening eyes. But while I'm doing that, yes, Mr. Cunningham, what do you know about the history of the series? All right. What you said right there was pretty close to accurate, but not exactly. Um, what? It's from Wikipedia. Of course it's accurate. What was we going there? Yeah. Let me take a, a quick drink of something and take a deep breath because this gets kind of long. Um, the Legend of Heroes series started long before these. Um, it actually started in 1990 or 1989 on the PC-8801 in Japan as a game called Dragon Slayer, <clears throat> which is part of a, another series. We won't even get into that aspect of it. But Legends of Heroes 1 and 2 came out in a lot of different things in Japan, 
and there were actually a couple that did make it to North America. At least one of those did. I believe it's the the first one on TurboGrafx. Yes. Um, And that happened in around 91, I think, is when that first took place. Then, down the road, we finally get to The The Legend of Heroes 3, which came out in Japan in 1993 on the PC-8801, or 9801. This is known in Japan as The Prophecy of the Moonlight Witch, which was released here in North America on the PSP as The Legend of Heroes 3, Prophecy of the Moonlight Witch. Two. Two. Sorry. Yes, thank you. (laughs) See, like I said, this this gets kind of confusing, so I'll get my numbers mixed up left and right, most likely. Um, And the the PSP games that we're talking about were not actually developed by Falcom. Uh, The Falcom games were all on PC initially. These games were ports by a company called Microvision, who totally changed up the battle system, the the concept of the game, you know, pretty much changed completely as far as the way the battle system takes place, but you know, Bandai hired them to do it, they licensed out these games from Falcom, because see, Falcom didn't develop a lot of their games they develop a game and then other people would develop ports of that game just on their own, so that's kind of what took place here, is we ended up in North America with three of the games, uh, three, four, and five, Prophecy of the Moonlight Witch, A Tear of Vermilion, and in Japan it was called A Cage Song of the Ocean. We call it, you know, it's titled here, Song of the Ocean. So there's three of these puppies, but the, the first one in, and it's not even in chronological order, in release order is, in Japan, Prophecy of the Moonlight Witch, but here in North America we got Tear of Vermilion first. So this is the most screwed up, confusing, anything of a consistency of a series whatsoever. And for those of you who are tuning in thinking that Legend of Heroes were talking about the Trails in the Sky series, those aren't even connected to these. Isn't Trails of the Sky a three-parter that's actually part six, if you include all three of them in the Legend of Heroes series? Technically, when the Legend of Heroes six and that's air quotes, came out. Uh, it was called Sora no Kiseki FC, or first chapter, um, when it was first released in 2004 on PC, which was about four years after, four or five years after the, the last one, A Song of the Ocean. So yes, it's technically Legend of Hero 6, which they've since kind of dropped the numbering of, and the Kiseki series has become its own thing, which we could go into at length. There's Kiseki FC, SC, and the third, and then there's Zero, AO, Sin, Sin 2, and the spinoff Nayuta, and that's totally off topic from what we're referring to tonight. So, for those of you that are paying attention, we are talking about the three PlayStation Portable ones, which were published by Bandai and then Namco Bandai and were developed by Microvision. And they were released in 2005, 6, and 7. Out of chronological order... Actually, Alex, do you remember... Is it... I think they actually released them in... No, it, yeah, it doesn't even make sense how they did it. But they reversed They reversed them here in America, but they're, they never were in chronological order to start with. No, not quite. I think it's... Yeah, it's um, Tear of a Million, then Prophecy of the Midnight Witch, then Song of the Ocean. 
So Song of the Ocean's in the right place, the other two are swapped. Right, but chronologically, story-wise, since all three of these tie together, Tear of Vermilion, Song of the Ocean, and then Prophecy of the Moonlight Witch. So technically, the last one <laughs> in chronology started, was released first in Japan, but second here. So yeah, if you're not totally confused yet, you will be before we're done. Yeah, when I when I came up with the schedule here, I tried to put the list of games that we're talking about in the best order I could, but yeah, there's yes. no there's no best order when it comes to this. No, honestly, the best way to do it is probably ignoring the North American release order and going with Prophecy, Vermilion, and Song of the Ocean just in that order because that's the order they were released in Japan and the order that really makes the most sense storytelling wise. There's a lot of versions of these too. They were, it was, I mean, this game was released on the PC. Uh, two different versions, I think. On no, yeah, uh, the PC 9801, and then on Windows. And the, if we're talking Prophecy of the Moonlight Witch, which is the first one, also came out on Saturn, PlayStation One, um, all in Japan. Did but it the come only out one on uh, the PC Engine or PC CD. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I don't think so. That's uh, the Mega Drive or whatever is that what would be referred to. No, the PC Engine had... Yeah, that, that's just, the Turbo Graphics. Yeah, it just had the second one. I'm saying all this because I went through at one point in time and created a list of all of the releases of these games based on Falcom's um, soundtrack CD release list that they have on their site or that's out there somewhere. And there's over 40 of these games. There's over 40 different versions from the first Dragon Slayer Legend of Heroes game all the way through the latest Sin no Kiseki 2 that's coming out this summer in Japan. There's over 40 different versions of the Legend of Heroes games. And, and if it, you're talking... And admittedly, we are talking about, let's see, that. so with the, with the Trails in the Sky... Ao no Kiseki... The Trails in the Sky triplet, mm-hmm. that makes up... That makes eight. And then part seven... Is another two games, I think, or is it three now? They, it's just it's all one big thing now. They don't really even number yeah. them or keep them together, but they're all continuous. It's it's a big series, but it's certainly not forty games, right? And they don't all tie together. That's for certain. That's yeah. See, I'm getting confused, and I even have the data right in front of me as to what in the world I'm talking about. <laughs> so you know, it must be bad. Um, well, we know that the localizations on the PSP helped immensely. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> Alex. What did you think about the localization? You got the you played just the PSP ones, right? You I played just PSP it. ones, yeah. And I've just played Tear of a Million and part of Song of the Ocean. So, okay. Tear of a Million is the more special of those two. <laughs> oh god, no! P- purely, purely because they haven't figured out how line breaks worked at that point. No, they didn't. And this is funny. And I almost wish I had thought about it ahead of time to ask um, one of the guys I follow on Twitter, Thief of Hearts, did some QA for, and I never can remember. I have to ask him every single time. He did some QA for Namco Bandai or Bandai for these games. I think it was the last two or the last one. And they said, yeah, pretty much they reported a lot of bugs and just nothing ever got fixed. So they knew that this stuff was going on, but Bandai or Namco Bandai just kind of let it slide and said, well, we don't really care. There's too much text here. And if you've ever seen the scripts for the new, like the Kiseki series and how yeah, massive that's, those that's are. That's a fair point. <laughs> yeah, I, these... 
these are no slackers either. They do have a lot of text, uh, a lot of NPC text, a lot of stuff that changes. So they were probably on a very, very, very low budget and low care level. <laughs> I just said, let's just get these out. What did we do here? What have we signed up? Well, let's yeah, see. The, the MP- first the one come out in English, it. as I recall, came out early in the PSP's life. So that yeah. might have been the explanation from on high. This is this is not like much else in the PSP market. There, so people will buy it. Mm-hmm. And you know, in two thousand five is when Tear of a Million was the first game to come out, and that one. This is the one you started with, right, Alex? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is. I think. <clears throat> I think I played them in order. But yeah, from what I remember on this one, this one did have the most special of <laughs> translations, and it just. That's the worst part about these games is they get such a reputation for being awful. And honestly, you know, I reviewed them. I couldn't call them good, not by any means. Yet at the same time, you could see some of the quality that was there for these games. They're they have some kind of base base to them where you can feel, you know, what's going on. The story itself is interesting, and the characters are could be well developed. But the translation and the jagged localization, like Mike, like you were saying, line breaks <laughs> in the middle of sentences, in the middle of words, you just can't tell what's going on. You can decipher what's going on, and it makes you just want to retranslate it on the fly to make sense. But, oh, yeah, the <laughs> translation is awful. I, yeah, I mean, you could actually sort of feel the Falcom charm coming in. I mean, I still enjoyed the story from A Tear of a Million. yeah. Because you could, you could get with the characters still came through. So <laughs> yeah, and that's the worst part about it is these could be great games. They really could be, and the battle system was kind of dumbed down. Um, for those that aren't familiar with these, which I imagine a lot of people have never touched them, uh, the battle system in the Legend of Heroes games, the PSP versions. What you have is you have on-screen enemies that you encounter throughout world maps as you're kind of traveling kind of in a linear path from X, you know, from point A to point B. And you'll run across enemies on screen, and they'll either have a red, you know, angry face on top of them, which means they're aggressive and are going to chase you. Or they'll have a green one. Tell me if I'm correct on this. I think, you know, a green... I think there's a a neutral one, I think. I think it sort of depends on on how leveled you are, at least in the... Right. Last one. So if you're high level, they'll run away. If you're low level, they'll chase after you. And I think there's like a middle one where they're just kind of there. They may not be aggressive. Some of the enemies aren't, and you can just attack them on your own. But yeah, some of them, if they have like a gray one, I think they'll run away from you, and you can chase them down, but that generally means they're a lot lower level. But when you touch one of these enemies on screen, it takes you to a separate battle screen where you have your party of four on either the right side of the screen or the bottom of the screen, just depending on which way you touched the enemy. And you have a certain range that you can move your characters, and you select all four of your characters' turns at once. You can either you know, opt to move your character in an area around the screen, move them away from the battle, and you can do that, and then the next round have them attack. Or you can just tell them to attack an enemy, and they'll try to go that distance, and if they can make it to it, they'll do their attack. But sometimes that attack will not be the enemy backwards, and then they won't be able to you know, get to them. Yeah. The next person won't be able to. 
Yeah, and the range isn't entirely clear what <laughs> yeah. some of them can reach outside the thing just because they're carrying a big weapon. That reminds mm-hmm. me a little of uh, the Lunar games, but yes, yeah. it's still it's fairly similar to Trails in the Sky, but sort of a, a much more basic version. So it's not got the grid, right? But, and and, and it's my... slower. But... Yeah, and Mike, I imagine since you haven't played Trails in the Sky from Lunar is pretty much exactly one of the best examples of a comparison that I could give. Imagine if you had taken, I'm not even going to mention Dragon Song, and I'm not going to mention Lunar Legend. Let's just imagine the original, you know, Sega CD or even yep. PlayStation versions of Lunar. And imagine they were scaled down to PSP, and I'm not talking about Silver Star Harmony either, but imagine <laughs> that it was scaled down and they kind of took the battle system and made it a little dumber. But it's it is it's very much the same style where you have a certain range you can move, but it's not as deep as Lunar. And the story even reminds me a lot of Lunar. That's one thing that it really brought back to me was it feels like a Lunar game where you have characters that are young that they really interact with one another. The stories tie together. There's you know a deeper story going on behind the entire thing. There's ties between the three games with characters. It reminds me of a it reminds me of Lunar, but this version of it is like Lunar if, you know, somebody was making it on a quarter of the budget. And yeah, and then butchering and, the translation instead of giving it to somebody like Working Designs. Yeah, say what you will about Working Designs, but the company tended to that... <laughs> come up with very good translations, no matter how long yeah. they took. Oh, yeah. But, you know, that's the thing, is these games feel very... Um, let, let, we'll go ahead and start with like Tier of Vermilion. Um, you have, and I'm horrible with names, and since there's absolutely no voice acting outside of maybe grunts and groans, which I played it muted most of the time anyways, so I couldn't really tell you. Um, but you start with... <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of stuff you probably ran into, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think wrong it's sort of, a, sort of Let's Go or something like that when they do a special... Yeah. Attack, I, think that's, I think that's about it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um but you get um, you start. The main character is Avin, Avin, A V I N. However you pronounce that. Um, Avin, a young <laughs> Avin, Avin sounds. Yeah, yeah, Avin sounds good. I'm, sure. I'm the worst at pronouncing names, even when they you know spell them right out for me or have voice acting. I'm horrible at them. Um, <laughs> I think don't, it comes. Don't give Phil inside. another opening. <laughs> oh, I won't. <laughs> uh, he can butcher names all day long. Um, but you've got Avon, who is a young boy who is setting out to find his sister. Um, they've been separated, and he's hunting him down, hunting her down with his friend Mile, <laughs> which it could be Mile or Miley or I think I called uh, him Mile. Mile. <laughs> yeah. It's spelled M-I-L-E. <laughs> so Mule sounds cooler than calling him Mile, and yeah. since this is from Japan, they don't use. You know, they would be melee in that case. Melee, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, either way, I'm thinking of something different. Either I'm thinking of a distance, or I'm thinking of a means of fighting. Yeah, the European version called him kilometer, so or kilometer. <laughs> I think that's, that's how it's version. We still use miles. <laughs> oh, okay, wow. Um, so yeah, but you know that was his best friend who he was traveling with, and he was always kind of the one that helped calm him down and. You know, it was kind of the the blonde-headed little guy who was keeping him kind of on track with whatever he was going on, because um, Ma was a rather 
impulsive young man, or Avon, Avon. <laughs> Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about the story <laughs> before I keep butchering names and get everybody confused? Uh, you're I'm just making around, me proud, I'm Mike. It now. <laughs> but no, um, Avon was kind of the second main character of the game, and he was kind of with him for. And I know we kind of do spoilers and stuff, and I don't really want to get into too many yet. Um, But he's just, you know, a blonde kid. He's got a boomerang, which is kind of cool because that helps with range, though his boomerangs are kind of weak. And he's kind of the healer. Um, Do do you have any say with boomerang in where it comes back, or does it just automatically come back via Path of Least Resistance? It's basically just a ranged weapon. It's the equivalent of a bow and arrow. It doesn't have any kind of... um, yeah, there's no there's no level of that much in the battle system. It's just yeah. attack. Yeah, done. I'm very <laughs> disappointed. Then the enemy and comes back, and that's it. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Um, Might as well so, be a rock then. Yeah, and I think you can get rocks in this game too. So you can throw things. Uh, the The battle system really is something you have to suffer through. Um, <laughs> I know I'm really selling you those all. Those are this. my those are my favorite types of battle systems. Yeah. <laughs> ones you have to suffer through. Yeah, you suffer well, through battle systems, so you get rewarded with poorly translated text. Exactly. Nice. Well, let, let where, me, wait, where where can I get my copy of this game? <laughs> let me bring this up. Based on what you've seen of Falcom's original iteration of the battle system, were oh. any of the changes made here for the better? No. Okay. I Not. Yeah, I tried looking at the battle system. I had no idea what was going on, so I couldn't say. The battle system in the original game was actually or in the PC version, and I've only seen it kind of in action on you. But it's actually kind of interesting because you have characters on screen at the same time as the enemies. That It's not a separate battle screen. It's almost something like Growlancer, if you've played Growlancer. Because you'll have characters that are on screen, and you can set a move and set them to move and attack and other enemies are coming at you at the same time to attack it's you know more or less real time if and i could be totally wrong on this and you know i've only watched the youtube videos but from what i've seen it looked almost growlancer like in well, the well i know the, alex has table. played growlancer 4 i have yet to play any growlancer you did play growlancer 4 right alex uh way far of time which yeah, that, that. that's that's the, four. the most recent one yeah but see in those it was a lot deeper and kind of had some real interaction to what was going on. You didn't just have a, you know, kind of a bland, dull, slow-moving, insufferable battle system. Again, yeah, really sell- <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm sure I'm really selling everybody on this one. Um, yeah, th- those are those are the key market demographics that people are trying to reach, the ones who like <laughs> to suffer through their games. Uh, the, I wish Suffering I could... Suffering will be a bit harsh, but... It's not a exciting part. <laughs> yeah, slog through perhaps. That would be a nice way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> but the way the battle system and everything is set up is kind of interesting, and at least you have. Okay, it's not that interesting, but I'll talk about it. Um, whenever you have your character's turn comes up, you ho- you'll have a party of up to four, and you typically have rotating characters that will come in and out based on the story. Um, which I do like. That's another aspect of the game that I really enjoy is the fact that you get uh, kind of a variety of characters as you go along. It's not the same four throughout the entire game because that would be even more dull than you could possibly imagine. Yeah, you usually have the same two and then sort of the other two or three and then the others will be sort of switchable. Right. You get a couple of main characters and then a couple that tend to rotate in and out uh, with some, you know, variety in there at time to time. But whenever battle starts, you have like attack, 
and then magic, which uses your hit points and magic points, you know, as you would imagine. And then you have skills that you can use, which are typically not magic related, and sometimes you can use those for um, different kind of power attacks. It's it's all really a little haphazard in the way they go about things. Um, but you also have um, books that you can read to kind of up your stats. You have you know the typical spells, the heal spells, which are translated in like Rhea and Apria. I can't even remember the names of them. It was such awkward. Yeah. Weird. There was only one issue I remember from Two of Million was reincarnation is actually an offensive spell rather than <laughs> a healing spell, which is just does it hurt eh. ghosts? <laughs> No, probably not. <laughs> yeah, that didn't I, help things. I, I yeah. was trying to strain for some useful, some logical interpretation of reincarnation as a heal, as an attack, and if that's not it, then failure. Yeah, you're not going to find anything that makes sense about this. Um, so in, in Tear of Vermilion, the first two characters that you kind of start off with, like we said, you know, Avon has his sword, and Mele, or Miley, oh God, what, what did we call him? Miley. The other guy. <laughs> the the other guy, the blonde dude with the boomerang. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, Avon is kind of the powerful warrior. He grows stronger as he goes comes yeah. along, and then stands the tail material. Yeah, it's pretty basic constructs that they're under. So it's not like you have a whole diverse crowd of characters that you come across, um, and you run into bunch of different people along the way and and like I said that's one of the things that I really enjoy about the series is how deep it gets as far as playable characters I believe I counted and there's there's at least 12 playable characters in Tear of Vermilion and they're all pretty different in the in the way they play I can't say they're all very memorable I think I wrote down their names and can can't even remember what any of them look like <laughs> off the top of my head, which yeah, is I just Rutice. But... <laughs> yeah, Rutice, and she was kind of the one of the main um, heroines at yeah, some point she... in the game, right? Well, I think she's she's probably the my favorite character from it. So. Yeah, see, it's been so long since I played Tear. I think I ended up playing like one of these a year. You know, across three years, I may have even skipped one, but I could only suffer through them so much at a time yeah. before. <laughs> Lost patience because these are kind of a pain to suffer through. Yeah, I need to be years back before I sound like so much fun. <laughs> hey, what are you talking about? Super boring combat system, crappy translation. I mean, hook a brother up, why don't you? Well, terrible representation of the game based on its original content. Uh, hey, I got an idea though. In all sincerity, if you send that game with a PSP, because I don't think he has one, but if you send that game to Mike Minky, given what he's just played and reviewed, that game's going to seem like pure gold. True. In, right. and you know, Mac, Mac, I just saw your list of portable systems. You have an awful lot of PSPs. I do. I do have a few PSPs, don't I? Um, I might consider letting you borrow one if you can find these games. Uh, uh, yeah. We'll we'll see about that. We'll talk about this this, this later on. Um, yeah, we're we're kind of derailing ourselves. I know. Um, see, so uh, memorable fights. Were there any memorable fights in Tier of Vermilion? No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Memorable no, situations. I remember the. Um, yes, please talk about this because I'm I, drawing. Oh, I do remember the uh, scene with uh, the sort of chocobo-like things on the carts and sort of racing them. Yeah, that's 
probably the most memorable thing I can think of. But yep, uh, they're kind of like blue chocobo ripoffs, except it was probably before chocobos were really even a big thing. So I can't Let's really see. say they ripped 19... them off. Yeah. No, Vermilion was not '93. That's Moonlight Witch. Uh, I don't know. Chocobos were around by then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they slightly used to see. Yeah, these are trading wagons behind them, so it's slightly different. Oh, yeah. so they're like uh, they're like shoe puffs, except birds. Yeah. All right. Sure, this is gonna, this is going to get really painful really quick if I don't get into what I actually like about these games. Um, in case it isn't painful enough already to sit and listen to how. <laughs> well, let's see. How, We've how knocked much. out translation. We've knocked out combat system. Uh, what are we left with? Music and graphics. <laughs> no, because both of those are kind of rough too. Okay, well let's knock those guys out. So I think what, we're what, what left else? with uh, um, so, oh, inventory oh. management system. Awful. Right. Oh um, crap! Yeah, like, uh, controls. Oh yeah. Let, well, since they work. The controls work. Yeah. Controls. Least, did, yay. It, did it drive you crazy? No, the controls. I even had problems. Uh, did it drive you crazy that you could only have ten of any kind of item? So you had. Imagine potions. Oh, yes. Whatever the equivalent of potion is called. God, it may even be called a potion. I don't know. I don't care. But you could have ten small potions, ten medium potions, and ten large potions. And they would heal, like, maybe ten, fifty, and a hundred hit points apiece. But you could only have a max of that. And a lot of times, as you're going around in the game, you would find treasure chests that had them in it. And if you already had your max, yeah, your treasure chest would just be useless, and you'd have to go on, or you'd have to, you know, spend a treasure chest or spend a potion just to make room for a potion. But there was no point to it. It was just frustrating <laughs> for no you know, reason. I never yeah. expected you to remind me of the One Piece game I played a few months ago, but that was. A similar problem. You could only have ten of each item. Mm-hmm. But Mike, that sounds like super fun. I mean, that sounds like okay. Now I got to really manage my inventory. I got to think smart. It's like a survival horror game almost. You don't know, like play. Uh, what's that? Resident Evil, right? Where you can only hold so many herbs and stuff. This sounds exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, that was annoying. Sure. The best. I think the best part of the game was when I got a healing spell and didn't really have to care too much about the potions. Yeah, <laughs> you just use that instead because it's far easier. And see. The other thing that I'll complain about too is, you know, the inventory management is kind of bland, but there's two types of money in the game, which is just odd in itself. Enemies drop one type of money, and at some point in time you have to take that cash, you have to take that and swap it into spendable money. You sell it for a different sort of money, I think, or something like that. Yeah. So, I think it's sort of supposed to be sort of a generic drop item, so sort of generic monster material that you sell, and so yeah. rather than rather than doing the thing dropping cash, they isn't that like Final Fantasy Twelve? Yeah, Final Fantasy Twelve, the monsters yeah, didn't drop instead money? of them actually dropping different things, they just drop a slightly different type of cash. Yeah, they drop money. <laughs> they drop one type of currency. That's it. One type of currency. But you can't spend that one type of currency. Okay, okay. So the you monsters are from... The monsters are just from a different country, and they yeah. drop their currency. And you, that, that sounds like a nice mechanic, a realism. Yeah, you have you, to constantly go to the money exchange to exchange your money. I mean, isn't it completely... And how, how much of a fee does the exchanger charge you? This, None, this is also true to life. 
Oh, that's not true to life. Exchangers do there, charge you fees. I know this. There is an exchange rate, which I think varies. It's, yeah. But it's just – There are fees probably built in, Mike. You know, uh, but, but I mean, yeah, this is really cool. I mean, just think about it. I mean, how boring are other RPGs where the monsters just drop whatever currency you actually need in the other stores? That's completely arbitrary. I mean, realism <laughs> dictates that these monsters are from faraway planes of existence or even other countries. They should be dropping a foreign currency. That just totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Except you're in the None same of the monster designs have pockets. As Alex knows, if he was to go to across the channel and fight in France, they would not drop pound notes. They would be dropping euros, and he would have to convert them to use them in England. Uh, right? Yep, that's totally how it works. Huh? And if Mr. Cunningham or I or Phil were to go across the border into Mexico, they would not conveniently drop American dollars. We would have to change those pesos into American dollars when we came back. Yeah. But this game, specifically Tier Vermilion, is... The battles are pretty frequent. Um, they're kind of drawn out. They're never really fun. Um, for the most part, it feels like all the fights are trivial. Boss fights are basically few and far between, and those that are there are just like maybe a slightly harder version or more of a type of enemy oftentimes, uh, with the exception of like the final boss, which... I don't remember who in the heck it even was without looking it up, but I just remember the final boss in that game being very annoying and a pain to fight through. Um, uh, but yeah, the the names of items and skills, and I think that's one note that I made in my review specifically, that, uh, or at least that I think you, you talked about it in your review if I didn't. Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> yeah, I was talking about the skill names and everything that's kind of gone on there. It just makes so little sense. Everything yeah, just you, makes you sort so of have little sense. Seat test out every skill to figure out what it did beforehand because he didn't get any useful yeah. descriptions out of them. So. Mm-hmm. But menus are clunky. It kicks you back. Anytime you use an item, it kicks you back to the main menu to where you have to select item and go in and use an item again. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, that, that, sounds like, that sounds like a unique challenge. It's doing something different outside of the box. I like I, Yeah, It speaks to sort of how much charm Falcon managed to put into this game that despite all those issues, it still quite enjoyed getting through it. Just... Yeah, exactly. And that's the sad part. Wait, wait, I'm a little confused. Been great. What, what did you guys actually enjoy about the game again? <laughs> that's what I'd love to say. Um, here's the thing. This game and you know the series as a whole has a very interesting cast of characters which are butchered by the awful translation. It has an intriguing story which is butchered by the awful translation. It has an interesting plot arc, which is butchered by the boring gameplay. So it's like every step forward it tries to take, it kicks you in the nuts as you take the step forward. So you're hurting every step of the way as you go along. You know, the plot, the characters, everything's interesting. The the plot twists that take place are actually, you know, kind of unexpected in some cases. I mean, you know... Uh, air quotes unexpected because a lot of RPGs are pretty predictable in what's going on. Yeah, if you identify the foreshadowing, then it's very often, but they're always they're always sort of well done twists. Yeah. Now, now would you they're, say they're? I mean, it, it's got good. Would you say they're unexpected still in the current era, or based upon when this game was made? The story and the characters and everything are 
if you were to put them in a game today using a with a fantastic localization and a battle system that was interesting, the story and characters would still hold up. Yeah. I think it okay. would, it would rival and top Bravely Default as far as the story and the characters go because Char- characters I think there's Yeah, I think there's a lot of personality that could take place. There's no recycled, you know, fights that you have to go through the same place a bunch of times. The story and the characters could really really hold up um to today's JRPG standards, but it's just a shame because this version. Imagine the Song of Ice and Fire, the Game of Thrones books. Imagine if that whole, you know, series of books had been written, but somebody came along and gave them to the person who wrote Twilight and said, "Here, rewrite these books." And then they gave them to that person's kid instead of the person who wrote Twilight and let the kid rewrite the books. That's what you would have. <laughs> pretty much. And they wrote it in crayon, and they don't know how to write yet. That That's kind of the best comparison I can make to what's going on there. The source material's great, but you can't quite find the source material. You have to really, 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 really look for it. A shade of a shade of what was originally there. Right. But not 50 shades of it, so that's good. Hey, I did not mention any colors. <sighs> we don't need to go there. But yeah, there's... You just can't help, and Alex can apparently agrees with me because we're we're both. I've played through all three of them. He's playing through two, the second out of three. There's got to be something here that's interesting, and I think the thing that was the most interesting to me is how all three of the games tie together. They really do have an overarching story that takes place from where you know a tier of Vermilion's the first in chrono in the in the chronology to Song of the Ocean, which takes place shortly, you know, a few years after Tear of Vermilion. And then... If one of the things you do get in, I think A Song of the Ocean probably got the most of it because it's the last game, but you do get a a big history of everything that's happened. Yes. And I know that I think that updates depending on what save files you've got from the other games because I know there's a lot of Tear of Vermilion stuff but I don't think I've got a lot of the prophecy in mind because I haven't played that one. Well, here's the thing, and we can kind of get into this. If if we wanted to talk about each game individually, that'd be fine. But honestly, the gameplay stays the exact same. Yeah. There is <laughs> there is no change. Um, and they were forgot all, to mention they were all you, ported to PSP by the same. Uh, yes, my, right? yes, Microvision ported all three of them and did the development, and they reused the same battle system, the same interaction system, the same inventory system. Um, the same, same see- lens flare. Yeah. <laughs> game does like lens flare. Yeah, indeed. And one, I'll, I'll say one more other positive thing. You can save anywhere. That's one plus. Um, okay, yeah. you've, got my, you've got my praise there. I like that. Yes, that is, that is one thing I think I put in my review, if I remember correctly. That was probably one of the pros that I put on there <laughs> that you can save well, anywhere. You, you know, back when EGM was talking about the GBA for the first time, people were remarking on save features versus password that people were still requiring you to use with portable game. And let's face it, if you've got a portable game, you should be able to save it anywhere. Yeah. I don't think there's any excuse for that. No, I don't. I don't. I agree with that wholeheartedly. You should be able to save anywhere in these. And thankfully in these you can. Um, Based on what you can tell, was the battle system the same in the original Falcom versions of these? No, no, those are the ones that I was saying were more like Grolancer, where you had... I, I, I mean, let me rephrase. 
was it the, was it the same between the three games as Falcom made them? As oh. as it's the same between these versions. Did the gameplay change between Falcom's three? I don't know enough about those to say with any kind of certainty. Um, from okay. what I've seen of the videos, they look similar, but I couldn't I couldn't say with any certainty whether they were similar or not. But they definitely definitely look it. Um, I can't say that there was a whole lot of dramatic change there from from the videos I've watched. I'd have to leave that okay. to somebody with more more knowledge of the Japanese versions. Well, we we do have someone like that who frequents our forums whenever we talk about Falcom stuff. <laughs> yes, there's there's a couple people. Um, if I like I said, if I'd have just thought about it ahead of time, we could have probably got to to chat about these um, a little more in depth, and maybe we can at least get them to engage us in the forums and give some more details when this gets goes live. But yeah, in talking about the three games, they don't really have a whole lot different between them to talk about the differences in the battle system. It really is just, you know, here's a new character, here's a new set of characters. What's interesting about all these is... Is that is that lovely inventory limit you mentioned constant? Oh yeah. Everything, the entire backbone of the game is consistent across all three. That's uh, great. There may be some like tiny little changes in the way it handles say, what it, you know, possibly in the special abilities or the way they handle those things. Anything that changes is really, really minute. It's not anything that's dramatic enough to, to see any kind of difference in. I, I felt like I was playing the exact same game all three times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't anything I noticed between Vermilion and Song of the Ocean that was really different. I think it's just... The, the latter was just more polished and better translated. You could tell what you were doing slightly more, but yeah, <laughs> still the same. <laughs> em- emphasis on slightly, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and now, I think now, there was a cat. Yeah, a oh, cat okay. versus a dog. <laughs> and in one, you got a playable dog. Oh yeah, a playable dog. What what kind of dog? That makes the difference. A white dog. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, okay. I thought they'd be the dog well enough. <laughs> well, you know, dogs come in many shapes and sizes. If it's a Schnauzer or a Rottweiler, that makes a big difference. If it's a Chihuahua, the cat will win. No, Between it's the kind two. of yeah. It's more like a just kind of a lab, maybe. Okay. A white lab. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Th- that's good enough because a lab that's a good sized dog. But in those games, that's what you know. They follow you around. These these pets of yours will follow you around, and they'll help find items. And you can praise the animal, or you can give them food, and you can scold them, and. I honestly never could figure out any way to make sense of what did what and what helped with what, but occasionally they would come on and help uh, you in battle, yeah. but very rarely. If, yeah, I think if it was annoyed, it attacked the enemies. If it uh, liked you, then it sort of healed or something like that. But So if you were low on damaging <laughs> characters, it encouraged you to abuse animals, basically. So this game promotes animal abuse and is horrible for it. <laughs> Great shades of interceptor, right? <laughs> kind of, you know. That's that's similar to what what the setup is. But hey, if you've got a dog cool. that will come in there and take a hit for you, that's a good dog. Yeah. So, um, you know, in looking at these, what really is fun is there's a there's certain characters that kind of transcend the three games. There's there's a pair of characters that 
you know, and some of this is spoilerish, and I don't really want to ruin the games for for Alex, who is still playing through it because this is some of the only good stuff there is <laughs> about these games. You, you say you say still, it's not going very not quickly. A, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Alex, just um, uh, I don't know. Look at something else for a minute. Yeah, and... I, I, th- I think I can cope with. <laughs> yeah, he, right. he can cope with these. Um, After all, you'll be looking at them through the the haze of the translation. Yeah, yeah, this might be a better better telling of the spoilers. Yeah. So there, since these these do take place in a an odd chronology. Sorry, speaking of animals and stuff, I've got a cat attacking apparently. She uh she's been very frustrated, so it's well, time for her you, to attack. You and Phil have something in common tonight. <laughs> Need to feed her or something so she be nice to the group instead of instead of mean. So the best part about these games, like I said, is the the characters that tie together. And there's there are two characters in these games that I'm to pull up some details so that I make sure I get the names right because I'm bad about that. And one of those which is odd because the first game that typically, if you were to play upon release, would be Prophecy of the Moonlight Witch. That is the first game that was released in the in the release order. Yet, it's the last one in the chronology of the series. So, you've got a couple of characters there. Um, Jurio and Chris are, you know, a, are they brother and sister? I don't even remember. And don't really care in the long run, but you've got you've got a boy and a girl, they're kind of the main, you know, they're the main protagonists of Prophecy of the Moonlight Witch, and they are going to help Grandpa Lap. Um, he's their, you know, their grandfather, um, he's kind of this mysterious Obi-Wan Kenobi or Ben Kenobi type character that you'll meet, and you find out that he's, you know, he's traveled to Witch's Island, which is a a great place that there was a great sorcerer years ago, and um, he's just a, he's just a mysterious old man who helps them out throughout the game and does lots of. He's their grandfather, um, so you know he's an old guy. He's you know got his white beard and coat and always kind of hobbling around. Seems to know a lot of what's going on. But what's interesting is come Tear Vermilion, you meet him again, but. In a different format, because in this case, he is a character named uh, Mitchell, Mickle, M-I-C-H-E-L, Mickle. Um, I don't think I'm just Michael will do. Michael, yeah. Yeah, I'll just consider him French then. Okay. Um, So he is a character, and all three of these games are tied together, but they take place on three different areas of the world. Um, There's... The the Gogharv, like we talked about, it's the trilogy. What that is is it's a giant divide in the world. It's kind of you know the backbone of the world. There's just a big divide of the Gogharv crevice that separates these areas. Um, Elfilden, uh, Weltuna, and Tirzwil are the name of the three areas, and each of those are visited in these three games. So uh, Michael as we shall call him, is from Tearswill, and that's, you know, kind of his hometown. Yet, in Tear of Vermilion, they're in the land called Elfilden. God, these names are so awful. <laughs> it's just hard to really make any kind of sense of them. Um, Can we blame Bandai for this, or 
No, I'm pretty sure these are probably original names or close to it. Um, they may not have been as bad, but they're, they probably were really kind of awkward names. A lot of Japanese games have awkward town names and world names that are yeah. hard to make any sense of. Um, but in Tear of Vermilion, you meet him as a, you know, a young man. He's a he's a younger adventurer. He's you know, he's probably considered ancient by Japanese well, RPG standards because he's probably like nearly thirty or twenty. Yeah, years. Late, late late twenty. So yeah, he's a grizzled yeah. experience. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's either grizzled and experienced or an old fogey about to retire. Yeah, basically. So you know, he is. Um, like in the first game, he meets up with the two young kids that are going on there, and they kind of suspect that he's not from their land, and he eventually confirms that he's, you know, from the other side of the Gagharv divide called Tearswill. And you kind of see what all's going on there and how things kind of tie in, and, you know, he helps them out in certain things. Um, but he's just kind of a, a, a tie between the games. And again, you actually run into him in Song of the Ocean. Um, I think he goes by the name Mitchell in that game. And he assists uh, Forte and, yes, Forte, the Song of the Ocean. Everything's musical-themed. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but you meet him again and later in the game, and it's kind of a, a mysterious tie-in how once you meet him... Little things that you noticed from the first two games start to fall into place, which is really odd because Song of the Ocean takes place in the middle of these. But you'll notice that things that took place in Tear kind of fall into place, and you're like, oh, so that's why this happened and why you're doing this in Song. And then certain things happen in Song of the Ocean that you'll notice, and you'll be like, oh, so that's what led to this in Moonlight Witch. Which it's, it really is, that kind of stuff is the most interesting aspects of this game, is how the three of them tie together. And the whole reason that it was worth it to go through the three, even though these are awful ports, absolutely awful ports. I would have loved to play the originals in a translated version and something that made sense, but, but these awful ports were just still worth it to go through to kind of see how things tied together and to kind of see how everything that you did in Moonlight Witch, which I played first kind of gets tied back around in Song of the Ocean. And, you know, the things I suffered through in Tear of Vermilion, you kind of see how they lead into Song of the Ocean as well. And it's just really interesting the way these things tie together. And you've got another character in there. His name's uh, Captain Thomas. Um, you run into him. He's the he's the young sailor, the, the kind of the pirate rogue that's always willing to help out. And you run into him in all three games as well. And it's all always in kind of a different format. Like in Prophecy of the Moonlight Witch, both of both him and um, Mitchell, Mickle, Michael, Michael de Lap Haven is his full name. So that's why he goes by Grandpa Lap in one game and Michael in the other. I don't know why he goes by Mitchell in the other. Just translation issues, most likely. But you know, he's could have been in one of the more easily deciphered uh, aliases. Ever, but uh, <laughs> yeah, probably probably translation. Exactly. To be, to be fair, it's in a completely different place. Yeah, but what's interesting is you you find these books throughout the world too. So you'll find like chapter one of a book about the infamous Captain Thomas. So if you're playing these in order they were released, you'll be play, be playing Moonlight Witch first, which is the you know the game that takes place at the end of the chronology and you'll read all about captain thomas and his adventures and things that he went on if you find these books which are generally hidden in towns um there's 
libraries you can find, and you can find them and read them at any time. And these also are horribly translated. But, you know, another part of the problem, because there's so much text in this game, which is probably what led to the poor translation. Yeah, I mean, but, yeah, M- NPCs always sort of switch depending on... <laughs> after, after every single plot event, all the NPC dialogue will be altered. So yeah, that's what does it. See how how interesting this could have been if there had been enough time and care to to make this something interesting. And we see how awesome that did turn out in Trails of the Sky because it has that same kind of concept to it. How things well, really good in that. Let's go hypothetical here just for a minute. What else did Bandai translate around that time with anywhere near this amount of text? Tales games. I'm not sure which one hit around that time. You know, uh, Abyss, Symphonia during this during this range, possibly. And I'm trying to remember how well those localizations were received. And I think I mean, I uh, if I, I remember, remember Adrian correctly. having yes, any problems with Symphonia. No, and if I, I don't no, know, Symphonia is good. Uh, yeah, and Abyss was done by Eight Four, if I'm remembering correctly. So it was farmed out to you know a better localization team, anyways. <laughs> so. But, yeah, going back to Moonlight Witch, you know, it's the last one in the chronology, but you're hearing about this infamous Captain Thomas, and then you don't know that your grandfather is, you know, the famous or the mysterious sorcerer who's done all this other stuff, but you run into this old guy who Grandpa Lap knows, and they go back and forth and bicker back and forth, and you find out later on that, you know, that was, it was Captain Thomas, that, you know, this old man who's like a old washed-out gambler you find out, you know, he was Captain Thomas, and, you know, him and Grandpa Olap had their, you know, they knew each other, so you knew there were some ties to the game. Um, but Moonlight Witch really is just kind of a story setup that gets you back to Song of the Ocean. Um, how far into into this one are you, Alex? Um, not too far, I don't think. I'm trying to remember. And, and I, was, a... I think I, I, got, I got Rachel and Shao. I think in the party, I think I'd done that bit, so I was okay. on the next bit after that. So, gotcha. I know I hadn't, I definitely hadn't met the uh, recurring characters in the previous game. Okay, good, good. See, this one stands out to me a little more than the others because it was the most recent one that I've played. But Song of the Ocean is interesting in a few ways. First off, as the title says, it's all musical themed. Your main character's name is Forte. Um, and you have you've got him and the <laughs> I say it's memorable and I can't even remember other names of some of the characters in here. Um, but you've got him and who's the the girl that's with you, him? Yuna. Yuna. Okay. Yeah. So you've got Yuna and then his grandfather, who McBain. are all fallen. McBain. <laughs> yeah. Um, unfortunately, not the. Uh... Not the, the the Simpsons, McBain. Yeah. Although he is probably the most entertaining character of those three. Yeah. <laughs> that, and he doesn't have a, any catchy Austrian themes, I guess. No. Uh, he does like to shout amateurs a lot, which I... Amateurs! <laughs> That's probably what they would have, you know, vocalized it had they done voice acting. But well, see, in, in this we game... we probably be glad that there wasn't any voice acting. Yeah. Um, in this one... You've got three characters and their dog who are all going on an adventure to be musicians. So that's the big thing in this case is they're going to be musical heroes. They want to get their... Um, want to 
participate in some, you know, musical tournaments or tournaments, composition, competitions, not compositions, competitions that are coming up. So Yuna and Forte are, you know, they're their own musicians that are here. Um, And you've got um, McBain as their grandfather. He's their mentor. And, of course, you know, the dog follows them along, which is kind of cool. I think the dog's name is Jan, right? Yeah. Or, or yawn. <laughs> um, let's, we get, can, let's, keep can... the, let's keep the Austrian theme going. Okay. <laughs> you got the dog. His name is Yawn. <laughs> and, you know, this one starts off a little more personably, I thought. And I, I kind of enjoyed the music theme. But for it being such a musical-focused game, the music is not as good in this game for some reason. I don't like uh, it near as much. Yeah, uh, all the weird bits where you sort of perform concerts, I mean, all that music is not very interesting at all. No, yeah. no, not, not not in the least, really, which which is kind of sad considering it, it does that. But the hardest part about this game, and I think all three of them kind of suffer from it, but this one suffers the most from it, is even as painful as we've said they are so far, and I'm pretty sure we've put Phil and Mike to sleep, that's okay, um, but even as dull as they all are, they take forever to kind of ramp up, and Song of the Ocean is the worst of the three for taking way too long to ramp up to where it gets into the actual story and the interesting aspects of it. Yeah, that is the biggest issue I've had sort of playing it. I've just gone, it's taking forever, I'm not going for At least with Tear of Vermilion, it, it started out with something interesting happening. Yeah. Even if it sort of took a bit after that to get going again, at least there was something there to that was exciting, whereas this one is just... Yeah. <laughs> I'll agree. If if I had to, to kind of give a, a ranking of how they go, I think Moonlight Witch has kind of a steady, you know, slow upgrade all the way, just kind of a, a linear upgrade path as far or a linear path as far as the, the story and the interest interest quality goes. Okay. Um, with Tear, I think it shoots up a little more and kind of plateaus and then kind of spikes near the end. Yeah, I think Tear sort of is a bit up and down. Yeah, it's more of a but roller coaster it, than anything, I'd say. Yeah, but yeah, it's a, it's a decent pace. Like. Mm-hmm. And Song of the Ocean is like a dead flat line for about half the game, and then it skyrockets faster towards the end than any of the others. It goes from completely dull, you know, I want to scoop my eyes out so I don't have to see this anymore, to the best of the series at the end, which is okay. really strange. And at least something to give you to look forward to. <laughs> All right. Something to do in July when there's nothing out. <laughs> yeah, but it so takes... Do yeah. you think that structure came from the original game, or could it have been altered somewhat by Minecraft? No, my, Minecraft. <laughs> Microvision. <laughs> Microvision. <laughs> Minecraft oh. vision. That would have made it more interesting. Um, I no. think it, it probably comes from the original game, just judging by how the plot's going. Yeah. Not- because what you're going through in the early part of the game is you're going from town to town and performing concerts and dealing with little dramas that take place in the town. And it's not until about halfway through the game that you get to a point where there's a little bit more to it than just concerts. And then like the big concert that you get to in the, in the middle of the game, after that, it's like, oh we have a story to tell now, let's tell it. And it, it actually gets into things and causes, um, you know, it, that's where it starts the tie-ins to, you know, the history that has been building up 
throughout the first half of the game, and it ties in the other two games into it, and it really just kind of skyrockets from there. And it, it's very, you know, then this is a very conditional, interesting. It's it's very interesting in comparison to the other two. Yeah, um, I mean, with Song of the Ocean so far, I've thought there's not actually been any real antagonist or any threat to characters. No. There's just been there's just been this generic gang of bad people who aren't very threatening at all. Yes. Well, while in the tier of me, and they sort of set out some antagonists sort of immediately. And Yeah, the thing that you're kind of tasked with at the beginning are finding these musical resonance stones from the famous musician Leon Friedrich Richter. Um, and Wait, resonance stones, that's reminding me of Earthbound almost. <laughs> but no. Um, what these are are stones that he, he's kind of composed parts of a musical piece on, and if you find all of them, you're supposed to find his grand, glorious, you know, piece of music. And all of that's just kind of the side thing that you're doing in the first part of the game. You're finding these through these ridiculous quests, like, you know, rescuing townspeople or getting money back from people, gotten stuff stolen. Just, just boring crap for the most part. <laughs> That, that's yeah. actually a very contemporary quest line. Yeah. And then towards the end of the game, all of that kind of ties together, and it makes sense why you're finding these stones and what you're doing with them and what the whole point behind them in the first place was and how they tie into the other two games, and it just becomes so much more interesting. And you actually get you know, way more characters to work with, way more characters to deal with than you have in the prior games, and... You know, it's just, it really is interesting at that point. But to say that it's worth it going through the other two games and getting here, these games are pretty bad. So I can't say that it's really worth it. But had these been better quality, had there been better gameplay and a better translation, then yes, I would say it would be worth it to get to because the stories are interesting. Well, I would also say that just doing innocuous things and going around doing stuff that isn't particularly far removed from real life can be interesting and probably would have with a better localization. Yeah. Is that fair? Out of out of the three games, Song of the Ocean has the most boring of the innocuous quests that could have been interesting. Um, as faint of a praise as that is for the other two games. <laughs> the other two have, yeah. like we were saying, you know, this one kind of just, it, it's just a flat line for the first half before it just kind of skyrockets, whereas the others are kind of a steadier ramp up or a kind of a roller coaster up and down kind of thing. Yeah, so, with a tier of me, and there's more reason to actually go out the way, and sort of, well, there's more of a sort of personal reason to go out and help others, while this right. one sort of just, uh, we, we need this item, well, they, they have it, we'll help them. Yeah, it doesn't really give you the... It, this game doesn't give you its hook as to why you're doing any of this stuff until over halfway through the game. You know, okay. you're just kind of on your quest to become great musicians for the first half of the game, and then you kind of find other reasons to continue on and get hooked in later on. We're, but in we're time, only the greatest to... musicians in this one town. We've got to go out to a bigger town to compete. Yeah, you're in this little shanty town to start with, where, where you're kind of living on these broken down old dock. <laughs> I mean, it, it's like the poorest of the poor looking area that you're in, and just a little fishing village. And you end up going from there and kind of growing up because your, you know, grandfather McBain is the awesomest musician around at the time, and 
you kind of get to know him better and he knows everybody and people know of him but he's still you know just a contemporary legend you get to find out more about the the real famous musician as you go along in the game and thus you get to feel what it must have been like to be a young Jacob Dylan maybe <laughs> uh, indeed but the one thing that I'll kind of tie in because I'm going to assume more people or at least possibly people that are listening to this have played possibly played Trails in the Sky and I want to kind of tie it in to to that game a little bit as far as conceptually what, what it offers because Trails in the Sky 2 is one at least the, the first chapter, the one that we have right now, is a game that really does start on a slow you know, kind of a slow burn uh, to say it's a slow burn is a, a very, you know, it, it might be a bit of an understatement. I think a lot of people that played it and only played the first part of it and said, oh, this is boring, dull, I don't like it. You know, the prologue yeah, chapter... It takes it with get through. <laughs> yeah, prologue chapter's kind of slow. It's not bad, but it's kind of slow. Chapter one is, you know, you can tell it's just building. Chapter two gets a little more interesting and is building more, and then chapter three and on, you know, it, it just, it kind of just takes off and soars. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what? Out of how many chapters? Do you remember? Three? Still I four, I think. I think there's four. Plus a, plus a prologue. Yeah. Yeah, the prologue and then four chapters, if I'm running correctly. I remember how things happen, but I can't remember exactly how it's divided up in the end. Um, yeah, but it's, it, it's divided uh, up sort of by location. Yeah, and the PC it's version it's of that should be out soon. I'll, I'm going to make Mike play that, um, and I actually think he'll enjoy it, because Trails in the Sky is a really good one, and I think we can do a podcast think, on it later I'll on. Enjoy, you think I'll enjoy it more than the last thing I played on PC? I can't imagine why. <laughs> what, Boot Hill Heroes? What? No. <laughs> the last thing I no. finished on PC and reviewed. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Um, but I think the, what really ties these together and what makes these games similar is, you know, the, the character focus. You're focused a lot on character development and how they tie together and how it's part of an overarching series. Like Trails in the Sky that we have and then Trails in the Sky second chapter, which is coming out, are we're technically supposed to be the same game according to Falcom, but there was so much of it, they divided it in two. So these really are, I mean, it's it's one and then the other. There's no... It, it's well, not a sequel as much as part two. It really is well, the second chapter. In that chapter. sense, it reminds me of yeah. Shining Force 3. Yes. Uh, very similar in that, um, in a lot of ways. And then from there on out, they, they kind of have you know recurring characters throughout the games, and it's, you know, kind of a continuous timeline, all kinds of stuff along that line. And Do we know if there are any characters from the very first the first pair of Legend of Heroes games who are mentioned or appear at all in the later games and we're just not getting because either nobody had a TurboGrafx in the early 90s or the translations of these three were so abysmal that no one would have gotten it anyway? I cannot I say... Be, I don't believe so. I cannot say with 100% certainty, but from everything I've heard, they are completely separate. Okay. It is, you know, as separate from, you know, the Dragon Slayer Legend of Heroes games were the first couple that came out, and they were kind of their own individual thing, the first two well, games. Cause well, you'll the see- fact that they have the Dragon Slayer right up in the title for those first two does mean something, because right. I did play Dragon Slayer. Mm-hmm. And the and second that game was, that was not a story focused game at all. Yeah, and the second game was kind of you know a tied in right with that. Um, 
and then the the Gagharv trilogy came out, and that's its own thing. And then the Trails in the Sky trilogy came out, and then after that's the other Kiseki games that have come since then, which still kind of directly tie in, but aren't part of the same trilogy per se. Yeah, there's so, it's a different set of sort of characters and location, but it's sort of, it is the same world. So yeah, and that's. Ones. That's the biggest strength and weakness for the Legend of Heroes games. Like the Gogharp trilogy, its biggest strength is how it ties all three games together with its characters, with its story, its overarching plot. They all make sense in their timeline, even if they don't make sense because of the translation. They make sense in their timeline and how they work and how things tie together. And that's the biggest, you know, strength of the, you know, the Kiseki games, the Trails in the Sky trilogy, and from then on is how they tie together and they build on this world and make it grow and become something that's just even better. But at the same time, it's also its biggest weakness because it means it's hard to get them. And you can't just skip a game in the series. You know, a lot of people try to get Exceed to, oh, yeah, the new one's on PS3 and Vita. You should just localize, you know, Sin no Kiseki or, you know, Sin no Kiseki 2. But they tie in so much to the prior games that you can't just leave them out. You know, it would be like getting Return of the Jedi and skipping Empire Strikes Back. You kind of miss some important things that go on there. And while it would still be a great game, and, you know, that would have still been a good movie, you'd be like, what the heck did I miss? <laughs> you missed a lot. Wait, but, yeah, Han Solo and Leia like each other now? What the heck is going on here? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, a lot of people just, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Oh, well, they should just skip, you know, skip and just, just make these because you can't get to them. But that's just going into a whole nother, whole nother podcast that we can talk about surely another time. And whenever we do schedule that one, I'll make sure to let me know, and I'll try to get us some some very educated guests on those. I think I think that's already scheduled. Isn't what I remember. Oh, good. Um, we can talk about that later. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I may I may push it back just a little bit because with Trails in the Sky coming out on Steam fairly soon, giving it a little buffer because we. Love our spoilers around here might yes. be a good idea, okay, or maybe so, it might not. We shall see. Yep. Indeed, <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's the thing. And the you know, like Phil said earlier, what about the graphics and the music? Uh, the music in these are in games pretty pretty bad. It's not really the it, best quality. It, it, yeah, it's okay. It's yeah, not great, uh, but not good. The original releases of these. Um, you know, really does stand up to Falcom's quality, but I can't say that I've listened to any of them enough for them to be super memorable. Um, I'm well, sure I can look mention through. Falcom music, and I've immediately got a few Ease tunes coming through my head. Yes, I can, you know, Ease tunes and some of the later Kiseki games I've got music to, but the oh, yeah. this trilogy I don't really have a whole lot of things that pop to mind, mainly because the first version I heard of a lot of them was not the best quality version by any means. So um, I'd recommend, you know, checking them out on YouTube. Don't listen to the PSP in-game music. Listen to the original Falcom releases or, you know, find them on iTunes, something along those lines. You can find these. They're pretty good. Um, but I can't say that any of the, any of the stuff stood out to me because it didn't really have any ties to the, the good quality. <laughs> I think it's possible to have your iPod playing repeat for each track. It's just kind of annoying to arrange while you're simultaneously playing the PSP, but it can be done. <laughs> yeah. You said that. I have, I, have, yeah, I have played Final Fantasy IX while listening to the soundtrack on iTunes in a completely different order. <laughs> yep. 
You, you wanted to hear you are not alone when it was not quite the time yet, I'm sure. Yep. So, and, you know, the only thing I can really say about the graphics is, yeah, yeah. Ben's player. Well, for that, these are games that came out in the mid-90s. The, the PSP... Oh, God. Was, the, was, the graphics are totally different, too, between those, because, you know, they redid the whole visual style. <laughs> And the the original PC graphics were pretty bad too, but the graphics on the PSP ports remakes, you know, it's a totally different style of a totally different look, totally different color thing, and it's still kind of eh, it it reminds you of low end um, Super Nintendo stuff, which isn't necessarily bad. No, I don't th- I don't think anybody plays Falcom games and goes, "This looks amazing." But comparing it to other PSP games, um, even the of, early ones, the, let's yeah. just let's just think of. Um, well, I think Star Ocean scale. Star Ocean, yes. Well, it's sort of the same, similar sprite based stuff, but I think that does a much better job of it. I think with much these more ones, detailed. yeah, with this one, it's sort of everything's a bit too shiny. As I mentioned, all the ridiculous amount of lens there everywhere. Yeah, it, lots of that, and just not a lot of detail in enemies. Yeah. It's possibly a bit too bright as well, just everywhere. Yeah. Well, I, I remember the PSP was able to handle PS1 graphics very easily, and these are when not I look PS1 my, level. No. When I look at my PlayStation or my PSP collection, and I'll just pour out a little for the PSP, who has just announced that it has now officially been discontinued in Japan. May you rest in peace, you awesome handheld video game system. How long ago when, was it discontinued here? <laughs> about as soon as it came out. Um, <laughs> oh, I think Sony stuck with it at least a month. Yeah, but looking at other PSP games, I have things like Valkyria Chronicles 2 and 3, which look fantastic, Crisis Core, Final Fantasy Type-0, even Valkyrie the... Profile? Yeah, even the uh, the remakes of Final Fantasy 1, 2, and 4, you know, older games, there's just more interesting detail to the, to the graphics. It's not so much a quality problem, Outside of, you know, the things that Alex talked about, you know, it being really bright and shiny in a lot of places, it just really doesn't mean just the the interesting art quality just isn't there either. So that's kind of where it lacks. Yeah, you know, it is a fairly generic yes. generic world. The only thing I found interesting I kind of liked is the character art. You know, some interesting character art that was used and the character designs somewhat, but that was the best part of the graphics is... You know the cute little sprites, but you know there's there's indie developers nowadays working on their own that do better jobs, just you know single-handedly who maybe only made one game before who do a much better job than what these offer. Then again, I don't know really what Microvision did other than this. I'm sure we could consult Wiki, but that's not necessarily the bastion of accuracy. No, we can't. Oh. It's actually it's a red link. Yeah, <laughs> we can't even we can't even Wiki it. Yeah, you can. Find out very little about microvision. Others may have dug deeper, but I've had very little luck finding anything truly. Maybe we can ask Gaijin. He'll, he might be able to find. Yeah, get him to hunt down some info. It sounds like ja- Japanese language ability is key here. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's different from the microvision that was like the 1979 handheld console. You know, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's really hard to find good and good reliable information on that company. It seems like kind of a shadow developer that really is, you know, kind of like Tose. 
they well, don't. Tose ever... has gotten some attention by now. Yeah, but still, they don't ever advertise themselves as anything. They're more of like the shadow developer that does things in the background. They may, you may see their name on it, but you very rarely ever hear from them. <sighs> so no, the the people doing the publishing tend to handle that. Yeah, whoever's handling the you know the licensed product or the main product or whatever. But yeah, that's kind of the. That's kind of the series. I'm not sure if there's anything specific that you all wanted to, to touch on or that you were curious about or that you'd like to know more about. Well, I asked about memorable situations, and we seem to have covered that. <laughs> yeah. There's a few, you know, Song of the Ocean has a few more, you know, towards the end that really, like I said, that tie things together, how they well, link. We, we, can ask, we could ask Alex to look away for a little bit, and you could spoil the hell out of it right now if you wanted. <laughs> I would, but I don't really think it would make any sense without an in-depth explanation of how the other games kind of tied together. It would be really even more convoluted, and I'd probably get parts of it wrong, not understanding yeah. things. But let's yeah. just say they tie together in a way that is really... Um, it's a neat twist on things. Things aren't as they seemed initially in a lot of the aspects. Uh, things that you thought you knew from the Moonlight Witch game, which took place after, are kind of reshaped by what truly happened at the end of Song of the Ocean. So I'll leave you on that little mysterious twist of a of a of a discussion. Because honestly, there's really no other reason to go through these games but to kind of find that and to to experience that. Well, as I recall, when Alex put up his review of Vermilion last year, someone came onto our forums to loudly say that this game is. Uh, well, he he didn't say it that way. He just said that the review is terrible, obviously flawed, because he thought this game was not that bad or something. <laughs> you remember that fellow, don't you, Alex? Yeah, I was quite proud to manage to draw him out with his uh, facade. <laughs> yes, and na- we have not seen him since, and I don't think anybody has shed a tear over that. Oh, I'm gonna try to look that I did up. My jo- I did my job. <laughs> except maybe, except maybe seventh, because we know he loves when things just go really crazy on the forums. Yep, that's true. Seventh does like crazy. Crazier the better. <laughs> but yes, you you obviously wrote something that touched our former distinguished forum visitor very deeply. Yeah, well, I think I pretty much said about everything that Max said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, kind of just copied and pasted because that's really, you know, there's hard, it's hard to say much different unless you have a blind eye to a lot of the stuff. Unless unless English is your fourth language and you too are trying to learn something from this game. (laughs) It's basically, yeah, I didn't hate it, but thinking critically about it, there's not, there's very little to actually say that's good about it. <laughs> apart apart from the general sort of interesting story and world and overall charm that <laughs> Falcon get in them. <laughs> but just so I'm clear, we're not because this person would probably read it, um, or probably listen to this podcast. Just so I'm being clear, we're not talking about Tom from Exceed, Wordwad. In oh, this no, case. We're, we're talking about someone yeah. totally different who I don't really care if they hear that we don't want them <laughs> <laughs> coming back. Yours is definitely one of the more restrained reactions. Some of our staffers have had much more explicit demands never to deal with this person again. <laughs> Uh, but yes, that's the that's the fun part. These are three very interesting PSP games 
which are awful, but yet have great source material, yet are still awful, but yet I'll still play them. So, totally, totally worth checking out if you have some time to kill and money to find, and they're probably... I found all mine fairly cheap. Um, That's the uh, best part about the PSP here in America is if you had it at the right time, you could find these things really cheap because nobody was buying PSP games. Yeah, I did buy the two I have last year, and they weren't too expensive. Um, Moonlight Witch was the one that sort of I would have had to shed out quite a bit for. Oh, really? But how much comparatively? I think it's about double the price of the other two. Oh, wow. Close to like a a brand new retail game, you know, like um, like yeah, possibly a bit more actually. Oh god, yeah. So see, that, that that wasn't worth doing. But the other two I got for a pretty decent price, so that was including okay. that was actually including sort of shipping as well because I had to import them. Oh yeah, you got them from here. Yeah. Well, they're yeah they're definitely an interesting. PSP games. Let's see, those those would probably be about twelve bucks to ship across the Atlantic. Yeah, shipping's awful from from the U.S. anywhere now. I mean, it's an absolute nightmare to ship anything. It's not as bad to Canada or Mexico, but yeah, it's fairly expensive. It's still bad. Yeah. I know, I ship things all the freaking time. Yeah, I don't ship a lot, but whenever I'm shipping review copies, it makes, a, makes it a whole heck of a lot easier nowadays to get codes just because of how ridiculous shipping has become. It wasn't as bad when I first started doing this. Well, that but... and for all the people not living in the United States, it probably arrives a lot faster with a review code. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. At least I hope well, it does. It does. Well, I think that from, from Japan, the further west you go, the longer the shipping time is. Yeah. Whenever, whenever anything from Japan, it gets here in about three days. See, that's nice. Well, from, order... well from, the, from the US, I think I'm lucky if it's two weeks. If I order from Play Asia uh, here, it ends up, if I do the standard shipping, it ends up taking nearly a month, it seems like, to get here. Because I don't want to fork out, you know, I'll go with the free shipping that takes nearly a month as opposed to paying <laughs> 12 or $15 that it would take to, to get it within three days most of the time. So and this is this is why Phil buys things off of Amazon with Amazon Prime. Yeah, buddy. Oh, Amazon I Prime. Even, I don't even have Amazon Prime and Amazon ships something in one day. I'm I'm fine with that. That is true. Amazon is can be pretty quick even before I got Prime, but the free shipping on Prime is what's nice. Because I didn't always have twenty five dollars worth of stuff to get. Well, and and I and and in the, when I was doing the free shipping before I became a Prime member, okay, it was, they were pretty quick most of the time. But there was the occasion where you know two weeks later it's coming to you, and I don't think they tracked yeah. it. Um, then so again, it's to hard wait. to do. Yeah, it's harder to do imports on them. Though is the one mm-hmm. one problem. But yeah, I think that's the uh, the Gagharv trilogy. That's the. The thing, my man, my gentlemen, ladies, gentlemen, any ladies G- that may be listening. Gag Harvey dead before he turns into Two Face. The only way to be sure. <laughs> hmm. <sighs> well, that is that was just really quite a thorough <laughs> uh, visiting of the series, uh, Mister Cunningham. I, uh, yeah. I uh, hope you were as vivid with that as we were playing the games. What's that? <laughs> what, what's I hope you were as vivid as we were playing the games. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Well, one thing we didn't really address, how long will you be spending with each of these? There's no in-game clock, which is one of my biggest pet peeves. Um, unless you found uh, found something somewhere I didn't. Did you find no, anything? I, I, no, I didn't. No. All I could do was do a rough estimate based on 
estimated play time, the length that it took me, or the the amount of time it took me to get through. I want to say Song of the Ocean. I estimated maybe thirty five hours. Um, yeah, I think you're looking at about the thirty to forty hour mark. Yeah, Tear of Vermilion. I want to say maybe twenty five to thirty, and Moonlight Witch probably thirty. So Tear of Vermilion. Yeah, Tear of Vermilion was quick. Moonlight Witch was a little longer, and then Song of the Ocean was. Even if it wasn't actually the longest, it sure as heck felt that way because of the slow start. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say a rough 25 to 35 hours, give or take, depending on how much. There's not a lot of, there's not really much side content other than finding those books. So, yeah, it's pretty much main quest all the way through. Yeah. Not a lot of time. Yeah, I don't think there's any real side quest to speak of. I mean, yeah. it's just, there's, there's well, chests and stuff to find, but. Yeah, except in. Song of the Ocean, there's tuning forks that you can get to. Oh, yeah. You can, load, you can load save data from the prior two games and, you know, kind of join characters in this strange, awkward to navigate world where you can you can pull your up to a certain level. It's awkward the way it's set up, and I should have mentioned this earlier, but if you do have save data from the prior two games, you can go to tuning forks at certain points in these games enter into a tuning fork world where you can load save data, you can then exit the cave that you're in and go into a town where you can find the characters with their, you know, stats and stuff from the prior two games. And then you can go and take on missions, um, you can do, you know, it's kind of a redoing some, some certain fights that you've gotten into. Um, but a lot of those just felt even more drab and boring than the, the main yeah. game did. So All those memorable fights we mentioned earlier. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't do very yeah. many of them. Yeah, how, how many memorable fights did you come up with? I think it was about a dozen at least. Yeah, uh, so yeah, kind of all the battles were just so repetitive and so kind of bland, it was hard for any of them to stand out. There's this kind of... Um, there's a sorcerer that's like a dark magic guy in Song of the Ocean. A couple of the battles against him are kind of interesting, but not that interesting. So, okay, we, we almost had interesting battles there, but almost we backed off. Yep, we were close, right. but not quite. Again, this probably would not have applied if we were playing the original PC version. Sadly, true. I think you know the kind of the RTS style battle system like Grolancer had is least slightly more interesting in the way it kind of plays out, but we didn't get that, so oh well. Yeah, Grey Lancer definitely has interesting battles from that system, just because of the way they can actually set up mm-hmm. interesting scenarios, slash very frustrating scenarios, but yeah, interesting still. <laughs> if only Grey Lancer was shorter, that would be a lot less filler content and a lot less to go through. It would be easier to get through and more enjoyable. <laughs> but that's a totally different game series, totally different episode. Yeah. Yes, when we talk about Grolanzer, we'll have far fewer Japan-only entries to to mention. Yeah. So, I think that's, yeah, that's probably all I can think about on these. Um, I think you came up with plenty, actually. More than I expected. I'm surprised you actually lost this long. Yeah. (laughs) Phil? Wow, don't put myself on mute. Go on to a long monologue. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Wow, so... Did you just tell us the meaning of life? 
But it was off camera. I was just admi- I was just saying, you know, you, you guys are just so down on this series. But I'm looking at the box art, and the box art looks really <laughs> nice. So I'm pretty sure this is a lot more exciting than what you're really painting it to be. <laughs> this is the sad thing: is Alex and I must be some kind of masochists in some form or fashion, because we, for whatever reason, have done nothing but be negative about these games, yet at the same time, we can't not play them. Well, we can not play them, because, you know, I guess I've played more of them than Alex, so he's way more, he's got way more sense to him than I do. (laughs) There's only so many times you can replay Trails of the Sky without wanting to play more Legend of Heroes, and unfortunately (laughs) this is the only one we can read. Sort of. Exactly. Unless, unless you get the HAL version of a Turbo Duo. Yeah, and um, I think I import one of those. I may have some of the... No, I, I don't have that untranslated. I don't have a system to play it on, though. <laughs> that, that Dragon Slayer Legend of Heroes actually seems to be pretty cheap if you can have the console to make it work. Yeah. So... Not As gonna, we all know, early 90s RPG translations are very easy to get back into nowadays. Yeah. Which this would be put to shame by a lot of early 90s RPG translations. I generally understood what was going on in those, and if I yeah. didn't, then it was pretty bad. I had the most fun with Song of the Ocean because during that game, I think it was during that game that I actually had Twitter and was on Twitter a lot, so I'd be playing it, and while there's no actual easy-to-use screenshot function that you can do, the I could at least go on um, Twitter, take a picture with my phone, and post some of these pictures of the horrible translation to Twitter. And I think that was some of the most fun I had with the game was going on here. Let me see if I can bring up some highlights to close us out. Um, it may take a minute to go back. While, so. while you're doing that, uh, yes. I did pull up the prices, part of my responsibilities here on the show. And, and since these are not on the PlayStation Network, this you're is very gonna need, important. Yeah, you're going to need to buy the UMDs. Look at my good friends at Half.com. I'm finding copies of a tier of Vermuduki for around like five plus shipping, uh, you know, and uh, the second uh, the second one or third one, who knows? Legend of Heroes two, Prophecy of the Moonlight Witch, uh, that one's about fifteen. Uh, Legend of Heroes three, Song of the Ocean, that one's a, that one's going for a bit more. That's going for twenty five. Now these are all used prices, but of course our listeners are hardcore collectors, so they'll prefer the one that's shrink wrapped in the box with the instructions included for seventy five dollars. Now, uh, now you can buy those games, right? Seventy-five bucks, brand new, no less. Or you could you could buy Legend of Heroes: Trails in the Sky, brand new in the shrink wrap for twenty dollars. Mm. That would that be one. the best option by far. <laughs> best option. <laughs> yes. Give Exceed more money. <laughs> Give Exceed more money. <laughs> yes. Except if you're buying it secondhand, then you're not, unfortunately. Uh, our, our, you know, our listeners are hardcore. They'll buy all four. So there we go. And, and they'll and, and... buy the ones that they'll buy that TurboGrafx 16 exclusive in English, and they'll buy the ones that are only in Japan. Hmm? I, I do have, yeah, I do have two copies of Charles in the Sky in the hmm. OD form. Nice. <laughs> That's I have, I do as well. I have the yeah. the limited edition and the regular edition and. The PSN version. So, okay. well, actually, I've got the PSN version as well. I have the yeah limited edition from Exceed and the limited edition from Ghostlight. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. Go- Ghostlight is better because the poster was bigger. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, let me give you all some some highlights to kind of close out the the series on this on a high note. Um, there's some interesting quotes that I found of this game. At one point, you meet this young girl who has she's a puppeteer and she beats you up like your whole party gets beat up. And you know, she asks you, "Do you want to be spanked again?" Very innocently. Nice. Um, you run into McBain, you know, Grandpa, and one of his quotes says, "Speaking from experience, a guy who was dumped will look better if he just smiles and says goodbye." Uh, that's good life advice. To which one person in the party agrees, "You're speaking nonsense again." Wow! Yeah. Even even the people in the game recognize the translation's bad. Mm-hmm. And then at one point in time, you kind of get knocked off a ship or kind of thrown off track. And Forte, the main character of the game, says, "We were blow away pretty far." Um, and then, as, as will happen. And then you meet up with another musician who, you know, he's got a he fights with a hammer, and he says, "What do you think of my great and Trabian hammer handling?" With an exclamation point, not a question mark. But his great and Trabian hammer handling. Um, one there's, less. There's really no response to that, is there? <laughs> no. How much? Then I don't even know the setting for this one. But Yuna, the female and the, and the female protagonist, says, "Is, is it spelled Y-U-N-A? U-N-A. She okay. drops the Y, so it's not a complete ripoff of Final Fantasy X. Um, she says he dis- disarmingly. Lured easily. I think that means that they were able to disarm this guy easily. I don't quite know. Here's another one from McBain. It's a little tickler since they have found out about the resonance stone. I'm pretty sure he meant trickier, but it's a little tickler. Um, Then here's that dark mage that I got you again. He said, using it, uh, this guy summons wood soldiers. That's what they're referred to, wood soldiers. Using it together with the technology of golems, the day is coming soon when the fiercest wood soldiers will be born. To which the mayor replies to McBain afterwards, Mr. McBain, because you guys drove away the numerous army, they were all gone. So, obvious statement is obvious. Redundancies are very high on this translations list, I see. Oh, yeah. But my favorite one out of all of these is like I said you go around the the towns and you find different uh, books and reports and different things that you find and they have to abbreviate them due to um, I guess text limitation for whatever reason text box limit Mm -hmm. and I don't even know why this got abbreviated the way it did but you're looking for the assistance report and it abbreviates it A-S-S-Y so at one oh. point in time, you're entrusted with the Assy Report. Don't really know what that is, but with the last game, or with the last quote that you'll run into, I guess she's not compatible with the air here. <sighs> so, in case you weren't quite sure how bad things were, those are some direct quotes from the best translated game in the trilogy, Song of the Ocean, which has the fewest amount of translation problems. Those are the highlights. Do enjoy. Well, geez, I think I'm beside myself after listening to that crap. Goodness <laughs> gracious. Woo, doggity. It's good stuff, isn't it? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, boy, wow. I think I've I think I've seen a few assy reports in my lifetime. I say a lot of people have. <laughs> you know, um, uh, wow. You know what? I can't even follow that up, but to say we're gonna take a break and wrap this beast up with our final lap segment. We'll be right back. have returned and we're ready to do the final lap that's the part of the show where we read your comments on the air share our thoughts just tell you what's coming up next and all kinds of miscellaneous knickknack it's the kitchen sink of the show so uh let's see you know, last... i think we had one extra comment that popped up for our last show or well, we got our, a few our, comments our, for our, the thunderdome no, show? The, the show before that oh extra comments yeah, let's see. Uh, I didn't really dig back that far. I have to take your word yeah, for it. I have to. I have to look here. Let's see here. Why you're doing? Yes, yes. Somebody, somebody named Darm came onto our forums to say that he remembered playing Blue Dragon a year or so after its release, and he played it through on ultra hard mode, where it makes every use of the battle system and character abilities mandatory, and without that challenge, the painfully dull story would have done it in for him. And on a side note that he, or she, when you use what looks to be some kind of Pac-Man ghost image, it's kind of hard for me to tell your gender. On a side note, Darm has listened to several RPG backtracks over the last few months and really enjoyed the Breath of Fire one, Hmm. particularly adoring Dragon Quarter and how ballsy its mechanics were, (laughs) and the Star Ocean episodes, among others. It's nice to hear reasoned views that aren't too heavily influenced by nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, you could you could just hear Mr. Cunningham's nostalgia just seeping through as he went over the trilogy. Uh, and Alex was right there going, man, this is the most awesome thing since sliced bread. I can't wait for another one. And then somebody named Wheels chimed in with a couple of agreements to that. We don't know who that Wheels is. I don't, I don't, I've never heard of him. He's definitely a crazy person. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think even he would argue that point. So, but even he could not take something called Mujin Souls. But, so let's not bring it up to him right now. So uh, we also have uh, some comment. Oh, well, first of all, actually, off of what you just read there, thank you so much for the positive uh, feedback. We like all feedback, as long as it's positive. I'm just kidding. Uh, we like all feedback. You can do that over at board.rpgamer.com. You can always look us up on Twitter. I'm JC Servant. He is what? Uh, J Moose? Uh, you're Jim, 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 on Twitter. You're Jim Mason. Jim Mason. Right? Yeah. Mac, Mac knows where that came from. Shining Force 3. There you go. So, yeah, you can definitely uh, shoot us off of your comments. We're going to read some uh, Twitter ones after we re- finish reading these forum ones because we also have some forum comments about our last show, episode number 118, which had to do with Fallout 3. Texas. Uh, Fantastic game. 
tech well that was part of the debate and uh yeah believe it or not that was the debate that was going on uh did you get to listen to the last show alex no, or was that michael uh, oh that was that michael was that, that was, was michael. michael did you get to listen to the last show michael I have not yet. It uh, is in my backlog to listen to. You will you will want to hear the heated debate over the over yes, uh, <laughs> once Manny appears it does become truly heated. Yes, yes. Manny's, Manny's always good for the <laughs> uh, Was he on the pro side or the con side? Because that will determine how quickly I listen to it. The pro. Yeah. Uh, were others on the con side? That would be mm. Sam and Scott. Yeah. Tag teaming. Mm, I have been in the middle. In wrestling, if I turned, in, if I turned up, I'd have been in the middle. In, in the wrestling, we call it a handicap match, two on one. So, well, yeah. If I think I know where Sam stands, as in she loves New Vegas more than Fallout Three, and I am in agreement on that. But at the same time, Fallout Three is what got me into Western RPGs, and for that, I will always be grateful for it. Even though I'd say a lot of the problems people have, I probably had too. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't completely. Uh, negative on the experience uh, but it, yeah you'll have to listen to it to, to get some more detail there uh, Tech Side says that was a good listen I thought the debate about whether the story pulls you out of the game or not was interesting uh, my personal experience with Fallout 3 is that it was the game that got me to get an HDTV so see it pulled Juno uh, Western RPGs it pulled him into high definition television that's what Fallout 3 does it builds bridges <laughs> now, very... that was, uh, that was... Lost Odyssey for me. That was the first game I played on an HDTV. Ah, a very nice friend got me and my wife an Xbox 360 in Fallout 3 after we got hit by a hurricane and lost most of our stuff. We were holed up with relatives and had a small 14-inch tube TV. So when we got back and hooked it up, my wife started playing. I looked over and with the, saw her nose nearly against the screen trying to read the text. After an hour, she finally says I can't read it no matter how hard I try. So later we got an HDTV and that corrected itself and all was good. Yeah, I had that problem when I went to uh, Tennessee to visit my folks and I had brought along my uh, PS3, I believe it was, and hooked it up to their television and tried to play even just a wrestling game. I mean, anything with any sort of text at all on a standard definition coming from, uh, you know, PlayStation 3 and beyond is just really difficult. So, yeah, it, it isn't just the size. It's also the, the standard definition can just be tough. Now, are you trying to say there's something wrong with TVs here in Tennessee? Oh, <laughs> Ma finally upgraded to high def, so it, it's all good now. Yeah. There's this there's this guy named next. Mm, there's this guy named Max Storm who says Fallout Three, the game that got me to WRPGs, I love it. Don't know who that yes. guy is. Sounds like a loony. He's nuts. Yep, crazy person. Yep. Uh, and sir, last comment. Sir Sniffy says the podcast never works for me. It just stops in the middle of it, and I have to start listening to the beginning until it just starts randomly stops again. I, I'm, you know, after I read your comment, I did download uh, the podcast to my iPad just to make sure it's working okay. Because I'll be honest, I don't listen to the full uh, feed. I uh, spot check it in key areas that tend to have problems with you podcast editing. I don't listen to a whole two hours or so. Again. Um, but listen to it on my iPad, and I didn't have. Any problem so i'm thinking it's your player i mentioned it in the comment section there on the board or whatever that sometimes some of the older um mp3 players they don't handle large files very well i have that problem with my mother or mother, <laughs> with my <laughs> wife's uh, car when playing mp3s through her, she has an mp3 player in her car i take a memory stick i pop it in and play podcast if it's a shorter podcast no big deal yeah something like the backtrack which goes on until the end of eternity uh it it it, it starts to have little bugs and errors and the such so I, i'm thinking that really? might be the problem there 
Just because we did the Disgaea episode that went over four hours doesn't mean we'll be doing that length anytime soon again. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. And you were partly to blame for that, Mr. Willis. You know, it's such a cool series. Let's start talking about it again and get off track. <laughs> all uh, right, I'll catch you all later. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there was one other comment. This this person named Ocelot chimed in to say that only one of us seems to have fallen for Western RPGs with Fallout 3. I, what, what What is that about, Mr. Cunningham? Hmm... <laughs> That's my fake spouse. Don't mess with. Don't mess with us. So they're having spousal issues on the forums. It would appear. We'll uh, we'll put that aside and we'll read some Twitter comments from uh, from my Twitter feed. I have a note from Nijin that says, "Remember to ask Jumei Sin next backtrack his progress of Agarist War. He's avoided it the last few times." <laughs> uh, hmm. do, do you really. You really want to go there? No, not fully in depth. <laughs> I have other things to do this week. <laughs> I'll, I'll take oh, pushing him over the edge. Give us, uh, give us in three bullet point sentences, style sentences. My your progress. Thoughts, your thoughts on. Well, yeah, story. I'll do the progress real fast. The progress is the review is up, boys and girls, and it's garnering much attention. Uh, you can check that out at rpgamer.com, where we have lots of reviews. We have other podcasts for you to listen to. We have editorials. We have articles. We have screenshots. We have videos. We have all of that and so much more at rpgamer.com. Ka-ching! That was our advertisement moment. So, uh, <laughs> what you, you, th- want, you want three bullet points? Okay, I'll come up with three. Here's Here's one. This story idea was done better in Fantasy Star 3. Uh, here's two. Mechanics that are overly complicated for the sake of being overly complicated do not ingratiate players. And numbers. I will not make that into a bullet point. I was limited to three. And the third one? Uh, just because your game offers lots of time for the money you spend does not make that money necessarily more usefully employed buying this game than say something that you need to survive. How's that? It's a good summary. And I can feel your rage from it. And on our on the forums people have mentioned that they don't know how I got to 126 hours. I don't know either. I don't know why it took so stupidly long for the game to decide that yes, the battle is over. You can move on now. Why was th- why was the frame rate so atrocious? That's probably a big part of it. If things had moved along at a speedy clip, that probably would have shaved a good twenty hours off. The longest uh, hundred and twenty hours of Mister Meeky's life. One hundred twenty sub hours. He will never get back again. That's right. You want me what, to what, talk about that? Sure. Let's what, talk. When a game sequel is a massive improvement, and I still say it's bad. But let's save That's that. where he's coming from. Let's save the bulk well, getting, of... Getting hit in the head with an anvil and getting hit in the head with uh, a bucket of water will both hurt a lot, but one of them is more likely to put you into a coma. How's that? Got mm. a good point there. <laughs> I think uh, you've sold us on never touching that game. Then again, I was kind of sold on that from the start. Right, Sorry right. about uh, putting you into that one. You're ready to play the sequel, right? Uh well wait 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 Alex already played the sequel you I mean you're ready to play prequel. zero yeah the prequel uh, prequel uh can I can I get back to you on that 
It's, it's only two <laughs> I'm generations. I'm already playing so. a couple of incredibly disappointing games. I I don't think I'm ready for another absolutely terrible mess yet. <laughs> That's okay. Like I said earlier in this game, earlier in this game, earlier in this podcast, I'm going to get you a good game soon. You get to play Trails in the Sky on PC, and you Yay. may you may not love it. You may love it. I don't know, but it sure as heck is better than what you've just been playing. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's not hard. <laughs> yeah, it's a low bar to jump. That's for sure. It, uh, it's it's almost like you're telling me that you're going to show me something better than the room. That's that's not a high bar. <laughs> uh, Let's talk about instead our next show, RPG Backtrack number one twenty. It will be called "You Could Wake Up Dead Tomorrow." We're going to be talking about. Speaking oh. of Simpsons references, everybody should get that right. Uh, yeah, sure. We're going to be talking about Diablo 1, 2, and 3. Time to go to hell for a long time. Well, they're all in hell, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited to uh, to talk about that series. That'll be up soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. Let's do a round table and see what uh, you guys just want to share with us, what you're doing on the site, what you're playing, just get things off your chest, whatever you want. It's the kitchen sink, and we'll start... With Mr. Alex, who's a little quiet lately. Hello. Uh, you want me to start? Oh, you're playing, Mind, you're playing Mind Zero, aren't you? Yeah, Mind Zero is my current review game, which is yeah. nothing like Persona, despite what other people would try and have you believe. What are your thoughts on it so far? You can spoil yeah. a little bit of it. Mediocre, um, good, decent, overhyped, underhyped. Yeah, uh, it's not really overhyped because I don't think anyone. Well, I didn't hype if you it go in all, expecting so. Persona, you, it may be. If you go and say Persona, you're an idiot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Particularly if you play about 15 minutes of it and still expect Persona. It's nothing like that. It is sort of a straight-out dungeon crawler. I mean, there's it's dungeon crawler and plot. That's about it, really. Um, but it does it, it does both things pretty well. Plot's interesting enough. It's not amazing, but it's it holds interest. It's The gameplay is pretty decent. There are a few issues I have. The difficulty balancing isn't great you're either sort of it's either too easy or too hard depending on what difficulty setting you have but thankfully it does let you sort of change them after you start the game and you can save anywhere so points for that um, those are good things yeah it looks okay it's not anything amazing again so it's it's sort of a standard dungeon crawler sort of that you'd expect for the the budget that's been put in is it better or worse than Legend of Heroes Gog Harv trilogy? Oh, better. <laughs> so better than what we have been talking about. That's a good start. Yep. Though it's no, kind no, of I sad when that was supposed to be our main subject. <laughs> well, I hope we've got some shot going on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I'm getting actually near the end to it, so I don't think it's a particularly long game. It seems to be like 25 hours, so that's I think a decent length for the content it's got so it's not going to that's good that is good good to hear but it says if, if it does take me more than 40 hours that means it's probably going to get a lower score because it's going to be relying a lot on filler and repetition if it does that <laughs> that's Gosh. what I'm most afraid of I'm not necessarily in the game I, I don't know anything about that no not at all we'll find out indications are that it's not going to last too long so that'll be good I mean okay. outside of that listen yeah if it Outside goes over that. 100 hours, you have my sympathy. Oh, <laughs> if it does that, I'll be amazed. <laughs> you will probably be very angry, too, I would imagine. Oh, yes. 
but it would have been very impressive if they managed to do that. Yeah. I'm not sure it, impressive is the best adjective we want to use here. Yeah, I- impressive not in the positive way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, outside that, I've done, I think, three reviews this month. Yeah, made up the fact, I think. Yeah, well, I don't think I did any last month, so that's right. But they have been of variable quality. I think. <laughs> Concep- well, Conception 2 was okay, Bound by Flame was terrible. And Van Helsing Two was good. My wife, uh, I'm, I'm going to share that review with her because my wife did play Van Helsing One. I unfortunately didn't have a chance to get around to it, but she did. Um, not super long, but it was one of those things that was short and sweet. She and en- she enjoyed the first one, so she'll be happy to know about yeah. your positive experience with the second one. Yeah, it's very much more the same because I mean, not, as you sort of expect after the sort of fairly quick period has come out in, so. But yeah, more of the same. It's a bit more polish, and yeah, still still got the excellent amounts of uh, snark, which probably actually made the game more interesting for me than Torchlight Two. <laughs> yeah, just, I, just I, keep, keep... I don't hear much about snark in Torchlight. Well, that's no, and that that's where this game sort of stands away from the others. But... Hmm. Anything else? Um. Nope. I think that's it. Alrighty. How about you, Mister Cutting Turkey? Well, Mr. Cutting Turkey has been playing a lot of Borderlands 2 over the last wait, little wait, bit. Wait, wait, I seem to remember you put up a review for this thing called Drakengard 3. Oh, yeah, I played that as well. Um, Drakengard 3 was interesting. Um, that much I gathered from looking at your text. Yeah, it was not a good game, yet at the same time, kind of like the games we've been talking about tonight, it's kind of it was kind of an interesting game. Had some interesting story, uh, interesting characters, they all talked about sex, um, you had a masochist, you had an old pervert, you had a guy who was being forced to be with some woman. Um, it, it, I don't know. The bad parts about it was it was very repetitive, um, that, that sounds like was, the first two Dragon Guards. Yeah, it was like Dynasty Warriors Dragon game. You, you said that the camera of, was awful, right? Camera was awful. There was slowdown. There was just absolute points where the game cranked to a near halt during combat. Um, and then it just the combat just had some interesting hooks, but you just had so much of it that it didn't it couldn't support. You know the amount of con- combat it had, so yeah, just kind of lacking overall. Um, I just everything it did interesting story wise, it kind of failed in gameplay wise. So it had some good points, just not enough content to you know really support all that was going on. But along with that, Borderlands Two on Vita, been playing a lot of that, and as somebody who never really got into Borderlands the first time around. On consoles, it was—it's surprising me how much I'm getting into it. So it's pretty nice, enjoyable on Vita because of how easy it is to pick up and put down on the fly. That's interesting. Yeah, I've heard um, a couple of not so great things, like a lot of slowdown issues from understanding stuff. The You're not having that. There are some technical limitations you'll run into. The slowdown—the only time I've run into that is in the menus. 
So whenever you hit the you know select button and go to the menus, there's a little bit of a hesitation there. There's not really much slowdown in the actual combat sections to where it has you know hinders your play. But when you hit select, it'll take a minute for the. It won't take a minute, but it kind of slowly brings up the menu. And when you toggle between them, there's a little bit of hesitation between those. That's the only real slowdown in the game. Um, actual combat sections where it needs to be fast, needs to be precise, are fine. Uh, it has crashed a few times. Um, not sure if the console version was that buggy or not, but I'm beginning to think that these games kind of are problematic when you don't ever close them. So when you just put it in sleep mode, that game's constantly running, so there could be like a memory leak or something where normally in a console game you would shut it down after eight hours. But in this version, you keep it running all day long, and you just keep it in sleep mode. So it's constantly going, and it doesn't have a chance to kind of reset itself. So it crashes occasionally. But save points are pretty pretty well done, and those problems outweigh the fact that it's portable, and it's awesome to have that portable. So that's what about, kind of what I've been playing. What about the control uh, scheme? How's that working out for you, since it's a couple buttons short of the PlayStation? It is. It took some... I can't say it took some adjustment, because I never really played much of the console version to know how that was set up. But it gives you full customization. If you want to change things around, you can. But by default, your you know your two triggers, L trigger brings up your sights, R trigger shoots. Um, the back touch screen works to where um, the left side of the back touch causes you to run. The right side of the back touch causes you to swing your melee weapon. The front side of the touch screen on the left side does your special ability, like I'm playing as the Mechromancer, so I can activate the, you know, my little mech that comes out by touching the front left side of the screen and the front right side of the screens for grenades. So, pretty good so far. There's only been a few times that I've accidentally thrown a grenade when I didn't mean to, um, just by touching the front screen. But, all in all, considering you're taking a big, open-world, massive console game, and putting it on the Vita on a small, you know, less powerful system. Pretty impressive that it works as well as it does, to be honest. Cool. I've been uh, I've been farting with it here and there on the PC. Um, been having a lot of fun with it. It is a really fun game. Yeah. So that's been about it for me. It's what I've been focusing on. Okay. Well, how about you, Mr. Minky? Other than that which name shall not be spoken. Yeah, I, th- I don't think we need to talk about that anymore. But there is a game which I probably should mention because I want to give it praise. I know Mr. Cunningham has heard of it. Boat Heel Hero. Oh, yeah. And I, I would genuinely... I genuinely anticipate eagerly part two of that because this this does a lot of things you wouldn't expect necessarily from the indie RPG maker cookie cutter mold, which it is definitely not a part of. It realizes the West setting that it's trying to achieve very well, even to the point of having all of our protagonists magically able to whip a horse out of their pants and go ride whenever they want (laughs) and then put it back in their pants when it's time to talk to people. I don't understand how that works, but it's kind of cool. It's got an interesting battle system. It looks distinct. The attention to detail is quite nice. Uh, It threw an awful lot into a fairly short playing time and there was no in-game clock so I can't really tell exactly how much time I spent but I enjoyed pretty much all the time I spent with that game except maybe for one point where I had to go on a, a fetch quest but that didn't last too long 
So go check out Boot Hill Heroes. If you have any liking whatsoever for the idea of an RPG in the Western realm that takes it pretty darn seriously. This is not like Wild Arms where, yeah, there's some Western ideas, but it's definitely part of the JRPG mold, or the JRPG setting type. No, this is a Western. That's cool. I've been wanting to, it's on PlayStation Mobile. You can play it on Vita. I've been wanting to check that out. I just have been trying to finish a couple other things first. How long did you say it was? I don't have the review I, up right now. <laughs> Rough I, I estimate. Don't know. I'm going to guess about 10 hours. Again, there's okay. no in-game clock, and there's one save file, or at least that's what I had out to. So every time I pulled up the game, it just asked me to continue. Gotcha. Just uh, wasn't sure if it was... You know, if it was like a five-hour thing, or it felt really brief, or if it felt like a you know a hefty ten hours for a small independent game seems. It totally felt pretty recent. hefty. You you go through some early stuff where oh no, the bank's about to foreclose. Can, kid, can you go get us get a job so we can help your old ma out? <laughs> but it doesn't ever drag. Not that I felt, because it keeps moving. You, you go good. through a lot of different places in this game. It, I don't know where the creators came up with the goofy idea of the bad guy has just fled onto the river. You're going to chase him by leaping across different logs on the river, which inconveniently have ornery river otters and alligators in the way. I don't know where they got that idea, but it's pretty cool. I've never done that before. Uh, or the whole scene, you're you're wandering through the desert. All right, you can expect that. It's a western. You're wandering through the desert. What do you find when you're wandering through the desert? The circus. Oh, and that even leads for a little while into being able to fight a fire breather and a sword trick guy and a couple of clowns, along with some lions. That See, that's you would not necessarily expect that. And I probably just spoiled the hell out of it, but oh well. You'll, you'll still have fun. Uh, and I put up a retro view for Ark the Lad 3 recently. I might have enjoyed that the most of the Ark the Lad games. It's pretty close. 2, 3, and 4 are all fairly close in my estimation. They're all good games. Three, I admit, takes a while to get going, but I didn't mind because some of these goofy side things you're going on are pretty entertaining before the central plot gets going. And I have started, and apparently I have gotten a lot of progress in Ark the Lad End of Darkness, which ended the series, and I see why. Hmm. You, you see, all the previous Ark the Lads were tactical games, so clearly this series needed to become an action game. Not only barely even an action RPG. Oh yeah. There's no real experience. You yeah, you can upgrade your equipment and that's probably a good idea, but we all love action RPGs where you have pretty much one combo that you're going to use the whole game, right? Yeah. And we particularly Sounds... love stories that feel more like go away. Why are you morons here? I actually just went through a scene where a character had to explain to me <gasps> You know that bad guy? And he was talking about fishing? He wasn't actually talking about fishing. That was his his play on words for doing something bad. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, speaking of um, things that have gone on too long, I'm afraid I'm going to have to bow out shortly. So, um, We're closing in, I think. I hate to hate to go, but I'm running short on time myself, so I may have to bow out gracefully. Um, These things do happen. Indeed. Uh, I'll make one movie recommendation then. Uh, go see Gentleman's Agreement if you've never heard of it. It's the story of Gregory Peck getting a magazine assignment. What would it be like to be Jew- report on anti-Semitism? And the idea he comes up with eventually is 
pretend he's Jewish. And that comes up with a very interesting reaction from a lot of people. It was it was really potent 67 years ago, and it still packs a punch now, I'd say. There. There you go. Um, real fast, I will, uh, I will do an additional plug that Mr. Cunning Turkey started earlier for the PSP. Uh, while they are going out to pasture, so to speak, they, they stop uh, producing them or shipping them out, whatever the deal was. I saw that article as well. Um, it's still a, a great, great system for portable, handheld, especially role-playing. Aside from some of those titles you mentioned, there is a ton of retro titles, uh, such as the Final Fantasy 7 through 9, um, Ark of the Lad games, whichever was just dying to play, um, and a whole bunch of others. Uh, like ZHP was down. I played that uh, downloaded through the PSP. Just a ton of great RPG on there and a lot of them you can just buy off the PSN download them to a memory stick and having them on the go is really neat um, there's uh you can Agreed. get those yeah you can get it brand new for like 130 140 you can get them used for cheaper than that on eBay or Craigslist or whatever um, I bought handheld device used handheld devices uh, through uh, like KSL which is our local kind of our version of eBay or newspaper deal here and gotten you know some really cheap deals for like 50 bucks and stuff and they're just fine you, I always look over it first before I hand over the cash but however you want to do that but definitely it's definitely worth uh, picking up while there's still plenty of them relatively new out there to choose from so yeah go check it out PSP it's calling you hmm um uh, I'm still playing through Final Fantasy V. My my brother, yeah, I, I can't lie. Uh, brother William, brother-in-law. It's the term. My wife's brother. It is brother-in-law. He's playing Final Fantasy VI. So I finally got somebody else to play Final Fantasy VI, the best JRPG ever. So go for the boy. first time. I take it. Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting because he's like, oh, dude, the rules just split apart. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, see, wait, wait, Mr. Cunningham. Isn't that the game that your fake wife refuses to play until it gets a remake? <laughs> um, maybe. That, that's what I've heard. I will let her answer that one. <laughs> well, she'll have a chance soon enough. Speaking of uh, Final Fantasy VI, it was uh, it is currently oh, it's just wrapping up. I think tonight uh, in a a fight uh, in our. Battle Royale. It is going up against Final Fantasy X. We're uh, to see which one has the best battle system, and uh, it, it looks like it might edge out on this one. Might 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 uh, might just uh, beat ten there by a vote. So it has. All right. So there we, you go. We, go, we go still six. don't have the final vote in, but even if it's for ten, then six has three of the votes. Ah. I think the final vote was going to be an abstain vote, anyways. So I was kind of waiting on. Uh, the poll to see how the poll was going before I had her specify, but pretty sure she was abstaining, and it doesn't really matter anyways because the way the poll went. So, so yeah, uh, yeah. and if uh, you want to see uh, more, you can check out the the battle royale we're doing. Uh, the next round is Tales of Graces F versus Tactics Ogres. Let us cling together. We have a lot of great conversation going on as we discuss these games and their battle systems. We would love to hear your input as well over at .rpgamer.com. So. I'll also do a quick plug for um, Paper Sorcerer. I believe this is a uh, turn-based fantasy RPG. It was released uh, independently by Ultra Runaway Games. Uh, and I believe they, they were releasing it through their own website or maybe a different distribution channel that I don't normally follow. But it's recently come out at GOG. And we all know how much I love GOG and their no DRM 
scheming thing that they do. Um, this is, the reason why I bring this up, uh, as a, even though it's a newer game uh, and it's an indie effort, but uh, but the reason why I bring this up is because it's incredibly retro. It actually looking at the screenshots, it looks like some macabre RPG ish fantasy dark dark fantasy pictures that someone at school drew with just a piece of paper and a pen. It looks uh, it looks super super interesting. I have not had a chance to play it myself yet, but uh, the initial user reviews on the site look very interesting. I posted a link there in Skype for you guys to look at. Just take a look at those screenshots. But as far as the format of the game itself, it looks very much like an old school wizardry or might and magic game. You got the team members' names at the bottom. Uh, you got the enemies at the top, pictures of the enemies at the top, and you got to pick whether you want to attack and the such. Uh, there's some interesting classes such as vampire and werewolf, as long as some of this, as long along with some of the standards like sorcerer and witch uh, and fighter and whatnot. Looks like there's a lot of stats there to look over and different items you can equip. Again, in the way that it shows, as far as the as far as the stats go and the combat goes, it reminds me a little bit of some of those older RPG series, though not a direct rip off of the wizardry. It's not using wizardry stats per se, but uh, it could definitely make you feel, you know. Uh, like Legend of, of Grimrock, you know, the, the, the 3D dungeon. Now, I don't know if it's set into squares like Legend of Grimrock is or if it's a little bit more free-flowing like Wizardry 8. Uh, but you know, you probably want to check this out. Uh, I'm considering buying this and giving it a shot myself. Um, if I don't buy it straight out, I'll buy it when it goes on sale. It's only $5, so it's you know it's per- pretty easy purchase no matter how you do that one. But yeah, looks looks super, super pretty. Um if one of y'all ask me if I if I forget, I'll put a link in the show notes as well uh, in the forum. But um, yeah, pretty cool. And that's again, that's Paper Sorcerer. You can find that at GOG.com. It's under the list of new releases because it came out not too long ago. Any anything else, gentlemen? Before we put this one in, to bed? No, sir. Yeah. Hey, Thank you. Thanks for having me on. All right, then let's get the legalese. Let's get the legalese out of the way. RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcservant at rpgamer.com and help shape our future shows. Don't forget to follow us at twitter.com forward slash rpgamer. Become our biggest fans at facebook.com forward slash rpgamer. As always, listen to our previous podcasts as well as our two sister shows, the RPG Cast and the Active Topical Banter, all at rpgamer.com. Mr. Minky, I thank you so much for putting this together. Mr. Alex, Mr. Cunning Turkey, love having you both on the show. Mr. Minky, please put us to sleep. Boxes in places are confusing to turtles. <laughs> <laughs>